Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of The Four Horsemen. I am the lead horseman today uh, because we're going to be talking about the Overwatch League, which has been announced recently to be in dire straits. You may even say on its last legs. Uh, I'm told that the finals are going to be in Canada. They're not even going to die in America, which is appropriate given Canada's euthanasia laws. There it is. Yeah. Right. Damn, so, all right. I told you I'm coming hot, boys. It's in straight. It was money for nothing in many ways. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So, of course, it's the regular horsemen. We've got Monte Cristo and Thorin and I, but when we're joined by a very special guest, Harsha, who was one of the leading coaches in Overwatch. But contrary to what people might think, there is a lot of expertise about Overwatch around the table. Because by the way, Monty... I can always, I can always hear, already hear the shrill screams of the anime avatars. <laughs> These guys know nothing about Overwatch League. I can't believe you would listen to them, guys. I helped make the Overwatch League. Yes. Okay. I, I was one of the first people. I'm not bragging, man. That's a confession. It's not a brag. Look, I'm just honest. Just to put this out there, you know, uh, Doa and I were the first caster signed to the league. We were among the first people working on the league. Um, I was a I was hired as a consultant to give advice and help design a lot of the systems with the league. And I was part of very high level conversations that were happening in and around the league and its formation and its direction. So, I Never mean, honestly, suite. I, I did not. I did not. Just call back. <laughs> um, just, just, go, just call back. Um, yeah. So really, if. If you want a caster who worked on the Overwatch League, there was nobody who was part of as many high-level conversations about the direction of the league, the formation of the league, than I was. So that's just that's just true. Um, right. And obviously as well, Duncan, surprisingly uh, connected to the Overwatch scene, did uh, a, a long-running podcast, which fe featured Harsher as well, talked to a lot of the players, was privy to a lot of behind-the-scenes information, as you would expect from an investigative journalist and the esports historian. And Harsha, if you want to summarize your expertise, because I don't want to downplay it by saying you coached some teams. Uh, so it was a bit more than that. I mean, I think you've been, I think you were widely regarded as one of the sort of best coaches and um, it, very early on in the game. I wouldn't say that. I would say I'm, I'm somebody who's been around the scene for like since its inception i guess is probably the yep. best way of putting it and crucially now out of it and never coming back to esports so totally uh, free true. to say whatever <laughs> the fuck you want right yes that's true and i can't think of a, a better person to to host this than you richard <laughs> well <laughs> to be fair richard was the original cassandra who essentially said from the beginning it's gonna die it's gonna ruin everyone's careers waste a lot of money and what's the point <laughs> of it all right and you know what sure. was so right wasn't he well, a little bit of context around that, and I guess it's a good place to start. So, look, the reports are essentially that the team owners that have bought into this league, the reports were they bought in for $20 million, then it was $30 million. Then we were told expansion slots would cost between 30 and $60 million. But what happened during the pandemic was a lot of those payments got kind of like, you know, laid, laid over. They got Nobody furloughed. actually paid this amount. Yes, nobody paid Nobody paid the amount. Then we had recent news a few months ago where they basically said, look, okay, we're going to forego asking for the rest of the payments. Now, as of their most recent quarterly report, which came out just a few days ago, uh, they're now offering the team owners $6 million each to go away. It's going to cost them $114 million to shut down the league. And look, 
while that sounds kind of fantastical and I've got some opinions as to why that might be, I'll just say at the start of the show, you know, why I was a little bit skeptical when it was announced, because I saw the original announcement document, the Morgan Stanley document, the stuff alleging I'm going to do some content around this very soon. Um, but basically, Morgan Stanley, who own a piece of Activision Blizzard, were brought in to do a document to encourage people to invest in this league. And they were saying outlandish things about how well it could do. For example, you know, like 50% of fans buy merchandise, which we know isn't true. And it could be like wwe which of course is a sustained entertainment product that's been around for decades now they also were doing very boomer decision making things like regional teams which you know we move away from in the digital era and the need to be in home stadiums and home stands which we got some good stuff coming on but i'd already been involved in a league like that called the cgs which had been which blew through 60 million a fraction of what overwatch has spent in two and a half years and built absolutely nothing and duncan was around at that time because we're the esports boomers as well and you know he what he wanted no part of that league and nominally saw it as good i was a bit more green around the gills because i was second gen i got involved and i saw it collapse from the inside it pancaked we all woke up one day two and a half years into a league and we just got told you know the murdochs that were funding it were going to fund it anymore you've all you all don't have a job by the internet got took down it was like a fucking psyop the league disappeared overnight and all the content with it and so when i saw the overwatch league model in 2017 i was like uh hold up guys i've already done this one the script writers are getting lazy so that was why i was so skeptical going in because it didn't seem to be vastly different from the cgs in almost anything except cost and scale so that was where I was at when I saw it. I've got a couple of angles on this. So basically, I'll just start out. I'll tag on to what Richard said about the Morgan Stanley report. That yeah. document, if anyone's ever seen it, it was obviously passed like shadowy around. Like, you got to check this out. Like the guy with the fucking raincoat on. It's actually one of the most cursed. It's worse than the Neonomicon. It's one of the most cursed documents ever <laughs> created. And to even read it essentially probably ruins your life and makes you haunted by demons forever. Like it contained stuff that was pure boomer bait. Like no one who actually knew esports could ever read this and think it was real. Like they, at one point, okay, remember like any kind of projection these are supposed to be financial experts they were doing like here's the base case here's like you know the very good case and here's like sort of the bearish case and when they said the base case i remember they like fucked with the numbers to the extent that they said that i think it was because of like one tournament in one context they said that like essentially 40 percent of people were viewing the matches and so the base case was that 40 percent of the entire player base of overwatch millions of people were watch the playoffs of the Overwatch League. That's the base. That's not even like, the, now obviously that's absurd. Like the joke is even the day one hype when everyone on Twitch just tried to push that number to 400k, even that wouldn't have been 40% of the player base. There was millions of people played it. So like stuff like that to me just screamed fraud right out the gate. Like if that doesn't seem like what, like first of all, the first question there is what was Morgan Stanley doing? Like that, I'll just say this to me, that suggests sort of like they had some external reasons. They might've wanted to say things like that. And then the other thing I'll just say is also some of the things at the beginning, I remember saying this to Monty. I remember saying like, the problem is though, the things they're trying to apply can't all exist at the same time. That's the problem. So the original premise where it would eventually one day expand out to be the whole world, but it also would be region locked 
and you'd have home and away games. That's the maddest part. People just add that part in like it's no big deal. We're going to go straight to not only the NFL, but remember, the NFL hasn't even got a European franchise yet. No, no, it's the NFL, plus you fly to China, play three teams there, come back, go to fucking Europe, play some teams there, then go to North America, all this shit. So essentially, the ambition was beyond anything. And then lastly, you wanted to region lock in a game where there is no regional basis. And we'll get to some of this later, but there are no regional fan bases. And people are barely even fans of teams. So like to me, all of it combined at the beginning was like, this looks like one of the craziest like puppet shows I've ever seen. Like there's no way this can even, it can't even live up to its initial right. considerations. Yeah. I, I will push back on this somewhat. Um, so first off, oh, so what I said was wrong. Go on, then tell me why. <laughs> no, I, I I don't think anything you said was was wrong. Well, but I'm just saying, then. just say your opinion. Because here's you can be mad. You fill up here if you want me. Go on. <laughs> yeah, um, let's, let's let's not do the greatest hits. Uh, let's let's talk about the Morgan Stanley report because I agree that it was bullshit. But the thing about the interpretation of the Morgan Stanley report, especially from all of the esports team owners that I was talking to, who many of whom did buy into the Overwatch League, was that they knew it was bullshit. Um, mm. But they still saw a strong enough upside to the realistic possibility it that was it was to me that, that because they were taking VC specifically anywhere to buy the slot. Yes. Let's be real. They didn't necessarily have to believe it themselves. It was actually, if that'll work on this guy, maybe he buys it. It was sort of implied to me. Also, if it went well, a $20 million franchise fee is not actually that much. It didn't have to go as well as even the base case. You know, it could be a bare case scenario based on the Morgan Stanley report and still be a highly successful league for $20 million. I mean, LEC spots in theory have been sold for $30 million, it's claimed. Yeah, so exactly. You can actually even make profit just off selling to someone right. else, right? Yeah. Right. True. So I, I think, you know, I wouldn't say that a lot of the team owners who bought into Overwatch League were stupid. I think that they realized the Morgan Stanley report was bullshit. Now, did some of the professional team owners that they sold it to who had never been involved in esports before realize that? I don't know. Um, it is the first thing that, that I would say. I mean, As I can quickly say, um, from talking to, to, to some of these, like, let's say, like, like higher up people who bought in, some of them did seem to originally think, like, Okay, what Blizzard is telling us is is true, and then very quickly realized that um, that was not the case. Right. Yeah. But it also just even if it wasn't going to be the case, it doesn't necessarily mean that a twenty million dollar buy in was a bad deal. Just going to put that out there. Uh, secondly, as far as regionalization goes, I I don't think it was entirely a failure. Just based on my experience of being at home stands, I think the regionalization factor was quite important to many people. And I think especially Harsha can talk to this because mm. the Houston Outlaws did have a very strong regional base. Now, we can make arguments that it, it, it we'll never know what could have happened without regionalization, like the Outlaws, because they had a lot of personalities and I think they had good branding and they had good marketing, probably could have been popular no matter what. But just a, my anecdotal evidence of being at home stands and talking to a lot of fans was that many people did care about the regionalization. Many people did. Yeah, but and the I think they were in the home stands to get money from tickets and actually fund the sure. business. So obviously we'll get to that yes. later, but as far as I know, that Oh, yes, we will get to that. Now, could they have reached the scale? But I don't necessarily think the regionalization was a bad idea. And I think the problem with the regionalization argument is that we're never going to know because COVID fucked the experiment. COVID fucked up the experiment. Like we just, we'll, we're never gonna know. Um, yeah, I, think this is, I feel like the league. 
I feel like Rich, I feel like Monty for real is this close to saying the real problem is real Overwatch League has never been tried. <laughs> I'm so scared right now. I thought no. we were all agreeing it's shit, it's over, you know. No, it is, it is over. I don't think it's coming back. Okay. Like let me put it this way. If you tried to do a new iteration of Overwatch League, I don't think it's going to be more successful than what is happening right okay. now, right? It was but a joke I also, communism money, but it's all good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 I got it. I got it. Sorry. No, I understand. So, <laughs> good. but yeah, I don't. I don't think that. I think it could have been better, and I think that they could have done a lot of stuff. I think ultimately the story of Overwatch League is so incredibly complicated because there are there are a variety of factors. Number one, the scale was entirely off at the start, as you say with the Morgan Stanley report. Also, just the investment in the studio was fucking ridiculous. As somebody who was there, was it really fun for me? Hell yeah, mm. it was. Uh, was it completely out of line with was it you know, one the of actual viewership? Costs like 10k a day to run the studio and that sort of mad stuff. I mean, the costs were outrageous. Dude. Right, the costs were outrageous. Um, so I mean, that was part of it. Was that it wasn't a build into something more ambitious? It was just all kind of thrown out there, and right. you know, it was really fun. Like, I it was really fun to be part of the Overwatch League for the first two years. I, I've well, year and a half until Nate left, and then it was really unfun right. for the last uh, the last half of 2019. Um, but you know, the first year was great and there was a lot of, you know, there was, there was a lot of optimism around it and there were a lot of people trying really hard to make this thing great. And I think we made some really good content. I mean, I still stand by that. I think Watchpoint, the show we did is one of the best produced things ever in the history of esports, And it was really, really well done. And had it been in a different game with a different fan base, I think it would have been extraordinarily successful, but it was it was too ambitious. Is is the answer to what Overwatch okay. League was doing? And I, I also think that your take is that everything you were involved with was brilliant. So uh, it's just on point. Listen, How... it's on it's on brand. It's on brand. It's on brand. If, if, yeah. if I if I can just bring no. in harsher here, just right. No, no hold wanna... up, hold up. Just yeah, okay. finish no, the point. I, I, let me let me finish my point. So the other thing is that you know the by the time it, it you know COVID really fucked up Overwatch League and the plans, but also there was an issue with. The homestand model in the first place, which was clearly too ambitious and was not going to be viable, and they were unwilling until the last possible second. And if COVID hadn't happened, by the way, we didn't even see the biggest disaster. The biggest disaster was the pandemic not happening and them pushing forward with the plan for 2020. That and was the, the year the that we were going to go fully international, right? It would yeah. have been tragic. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Like, like I said before, we went and live. and then also on top of that, you can't crazy. separate you can't separate the esport from what the game devs did, because a lot of the problems with Overwatch League and the stale metas were because the game devs weren't updating the game, like and they they had paused development uh, and release of new characters to work work on Overwatch Two, which then turned into another fiasco. So like, I think had there been better cooperation between the game devs goals and the actual esport that it would have done better um you know it, by the time we got to 2019 and we got months and months of goats meta you know the fan base kind of tuned out mm. it so, wasn't dynamic it was boring so harsher like just to sort of lead into this because we're getting into the the goat the goats meta weeds just before that, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, kind of what attracted you to the league and, you know, from your view, you know, because obviously Monty's in the high level and is involved in the machinery. You're someone external and peripheral to it coming in and having a job in the ecosystem. You know, what was your thoughts about this league and, and kind of, you know, whether or not it, there was a pathway to like 
success or having a career and that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, I might look kind of like a vulture now, but like when it was announced, I didn't think it really had legs for long-term success. Like I thought, I thought maybe there's like a 10% chance it succeeds and becomes like a, you know, like an actual cultural phenomenon. And then, you know, maybe 20% chance it's like league of legends. And then 70% chance it's like, it goes, you know, down the, the shitter basically for, for better or worse. So I, I came in knowing that was the case. And I came in knowing that like, um, this is the game I have expertise in. So I want to try pursuing a future in it while I can. And then, you know, when I can no longer do that, I'll, I'll leave. So I kind of had that expe- expectation at the beginning. By the way, it is amazing. He has a post that says incredible, but true right behind it. <laughs> that's not even planted. Like that's just, that's pure synchronicity guys. Let's just do all the different aspects. So just pick an aspect, yeah. Richard. Let's just, let's just go through them all. Yeah. Well, okay. Look, we, we've already alluded to the pandemic. Now, one of the narratives I'm never going to accept, no matter how many people say it, and I do fully expect people to say it, including people I like and respect to say it, but it will always be bullshit to me, is this idea that the pandemic was actually bad for Overwatch League. I, I don't think it was. I think the pandemic... It was good. Yeah, I think it saved the league. I really, really do. And, and, I, and I'll explain why. It was at a point where... The budgeting was so insane because of the decisions they made. Plus, they were moving to this homestand model where everybody had to drop money into it. The team owners included because you had to have studio space at your venues. There was going to be all these flights, you know, like as Duncan said at the start. We were about to head into a schedule where you were going to have to like go like on three continents, like in the space of like 10 days to make these games happen. I, I got sent the original scheduling document and just never did anything with it because it was so fantastical and ridiculous. And, you know, we were already getting into the whole pandemic, who's locking down, who isn't kind of thing. Um, I just never published it. But trust me, as I said, it's barely an exaggeration to say it would have killed someone. It's barely, like, if you think... Yeah. If you think players have burnout in other esports games, particularly League, this would have been so destructive to the player's health. It would have been insane. And Activision so, Blizzard didn't seem to give a shit about it. Let, let's talk about what Overwatch League was supposed to be. Um, because I think it's going to inform what it, what it ended up becoming. Uh, because it was very different when I signed my contract. So, And it, this also will, will explain a lot about the problems of Overwatch League, both from a product perspective as well as a logistics perspective, like you're talking about, Richard. First off, it wasn't like they were going to be flying from Shanghai to New York and then playing back-to-back matches. Usually the way the scheduling was supposed to be arranged was that so a team would kind of do like a tour of Asia and all be in that time zone for a while. Um, and then like come back and do a series of homestands in their in their home city uh, with a variety of opponents. So there was a way to get... Huh? The following week. So did we do it was like a week in Asia and then you were back here. Like I'm talking about the very original schedules. You, okay. you, you, you didn't just go out to China for like three weeks, then have a week off, chill, come back, get acclimatized. It was you're doing the China week now, you're doing the NA week now, you're doing the Europe, you know, whatever it was. It was like really you know, you you were jumping all over the place. Anecdotally, but, but, there were there was a lot of teams that um were scheduled to play in China and then play in Korea, and then play in China uh, within a span of three weeks, where you absolutely at the time would have gotten detained in, at like the Chinese, like 
I, I think it's almost certain you would have gotten, uh, gotten several players detained at the Chinese border, like going in and out of the country that many times. So, and, and which is another aspect that obviously wasn't being factored in that there was like China was having its huge COVID clamp now at that yeah. time. And they would, they would just sort of muddling through that getting in and out of China hard on its best day was going to be acceptable. But the, you know, so, that players and owners push back on this it was ridiculous. I do think in in these conversations, it's, it's important to talk about where the genesis of many of these ideas began, because it's only it, the initial. So when I signed my contract in uh, 2016, um, the concept of the league was never to be based in Los Angeles, by the way. The original idea of the league was that it was going to be a traveling roadshow like the WWE. So it would be like one week we're in. San Francisco, and the next week we're in Miami, and then the next week we're in New York. And to me, that sounded reasonable because it seems like you could get a venue and sell out a few days of that venue, which is indeed what we saw at some of the homestands in 2018 and 2019, and did seem like a viable strategy for doing things. However, what ended up happening later is that Remember that the Overwatch League was supposed to launch in 2017 and then was pushed back to 2018. Yeah. So we lost an entire year um, where I came back to the States in early 2017 from Korea and was doing like Contender Season Zero, the World Cup, some other fill-in content for that year. And honestly, especially the World Cup did phenomenally well in terms of viewership in 2017. And it everything looked quite promising. Both the World Cup in 2016 and 2017 were very popular. We did the entire world tour where we were in... Shanghai and, uh, of course, Katowice and um, uh, Sydney. Uh, so he just popped from Shanghai to Katowice to Sydney. I mean, this is classic esports. This, 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 e this, this is just esports, man. It's just esports. Um, and then we were in LA. And, like, honestly, you know, all those events had tons of fans there that people were very excited about it. The viewership online was really good. Uh, and then we ended, we ended up. Basically, they made a decision that they were going to run the the league out of Los Angeles for the first two years. And I guess they just wanted to make sure that they had like a kind of baseline level of production quality, because if you're changing every week, it introduces so many possible errors. And like, you know, it allowed us to do more of the studio shows like Watchpoint and create better shoulder content. But at the end of the day, having a live audience was crazy because we were doing, you know, four or five days a week of broadcasts. And there was no way that for two years in LA, we were going to sell out that massive, that massive, uh, that massive venue. And, you know, by 2019, it got to the point where there were like 20 or 30 people showing up a day and they were just sitting in the front rows on the floor of the arena. And there was, there were no fans because they had just tapped out the available market. And this also happens to the LCS. It's not weird to have this happen in Los Angeles, regardless of esports. But I really, you know, one of the things I signed on for was the traveling show, because I thought that would be, you know, if, you, if your ultimate goal is to do home and away games, you have to start activating those local audiences and getting them involved. And I thought that that was going to be the way to try and hook fans in week by week as we moved around the country. Plus, it meant that, I didn't have to live in Los Angeles, which is not something that I signed up for when I moved back to the States. Mm -hmm. And to be fair to Blizzard, they didn't tell me I had to live in LA. They were like, oh, you could just fly out every week to LA. And obviously I said, fuck that. I'm not spending my entire life on an airplane. And so I'm still in, I mean, I'm leaving now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm moving out very soon. But I mean, I got stuck here in LA as a result of that for a number of years. 
And that was never the original plan. So when we think about the feasibility of, of the logistics around Overwatch League, we have to remember what the original vision was and how it shifted. One thing I would say, and we're talking about the original premise as well, is to me, the other thing that I thought was so corrupted, and Richard did a lot of reporting on this, was that it was so cynically about getting these non-endemic people to buy in and own teams on the proviso, this was the next big esport, and both parts were absolute bobkiss. Like, for a start off, these weren't people where they took, like, LCS or model that existed and had, like, a stable viewership and had established, you know, that, that would be one thing. But what they did was, I remember some very big American orgs who are LCS orgs telling me like we might apply but the thing is we might not even get in and I was like what are you talking about you'll be a slam dunk and they're like no you have to understand like they want like people who own NFL teams and NHL teams and all sure. people who just are ma major American companies that could maybe like then sponsor the league and all it's like and essentially they said like you know they'll take a few endemic people but not actually by and large essentially like Richard reports it's the Bobby Kotick French tour it's like let's get in all the people that when he's in some NFL owner's box with millions Millionaires hustling and bustling with all the elbows by him. That's who he wants in the league. And so to yep. me, that in itself was an incredibly harmful thing the Overwatch League did because the amount of these guys it burned immediately was insane. Then they tried to parlay it to, well, don't worry, you can have a CDL slot, like a fucking, you know, like essentially like, oh, you know, what's it called? Like sunken cost fallacy approach. And then also two things they lauded and bragged about for the first two years. Remember, they had the audacity to take franchise fees, which you've just discussed, were never paid in their and total amounts, count them as if they already got the money, take that, add it to the Twitch deal, which probably killed actual broadcast rights in esports, put it yep. all together and make some mad claim, like it made $300 million the first year. And as a result, you can imagine, the second round of people who bought the more expensive slots would be like 300 million in one year for a video game. Like, I don't think people get it. I actually think the sheer heart, it's not just that this is like, ah, everyone got bought in as an idiot. Ha <laughs> funny, it's dead. You guys actually probably killed the esports dream. Yeah. Like, that one venture, and the worst thing was, look, even though I actually liked the game, it never had the League of Legends actual like viewership basis to ever justify this. It was all built on essentially just a false premise as far as I could tell. Yeah, and, and just to tag on of a bit about reporting, and then I'll get Harsh to jump in because I'm sure he can like confirm some of the stuff we're talking about. The I can't remember if it was Jacob Wolf that reported on the original meeting, but just so people know, basically, there were a number of high-level esports owners that were told... They were like, oh, Overwatch, could, could, couldn't we be involved? We, we've got all these other esports teams, we're endemic to the space. And essentially, the Bobby Kotick cabal told them, no, we don't even want you. We're not aiming for you. We want VC groups and sports groups. Fuck you, you can't come in. One of these one of these owners, for example, was Rick Fox, Echo Fox, who he was the, the new kid on the block, so to speak, in esports, but very a great ambassador for the space. You know, well liked, um, had connections to sports and and entertainment, and so he was one of the people who got told, "No, you don't make the cut." Sorry, and there was another aspect of this, which was there were some people who, prior to the Overwatch League coming, went out and recruited Overwatch teams because they wanted to be situated for when it blew up. You know, and what ended up happening there was 
Blizzard behind the scenes were saying their original intent for the league was to have a draft system, like a college-style draft. And so they asked the team owners who had already invested in teams, would you be willing to terminate the contracts if you want to be involved in the league? The only reason they didn't do the draft is because they would have needed to put in a bunch of other protections, which they didn't want in place, uh, you know, like a player association and things yeah, like union, that, yeah. a players union. Uh, so in, in other words, what they said to the antitrust investigation that just happened in this league, the government, the American government, they basically were like, oh yeah, we didn't know, sorry, sorry, it was a misogyny or whatever that word is. And we were really sad. They, they actively built it that way and were essentially asking teams to give up contractual obligations to players so they could do content in the league. You have no idea how dirty the construction of this league was before we even get into the crazy numbers. There's an ego Archer coming. Yeah. yeah, two minor things because I don't I don't have too much to add uh aside from like what's already out there. But it was always strange to me that like you force these teams to all partner with like VC companies and then now obviously we're seeing like in esports all these VC companies feel burned and everybody's pulling out. So it did feel like this led to, you know, could, could have led to the current situation that we're in. Um, that's part one. But then part two, uh, I don't know if Monty remembers this, but there was also a promise of a combine where they would, they would bring out all the yeah. players and have uh, test their like, their like reaction speed and stuff like that. And to me, like this is always yeah. something that, that, that sounds like some like, boomer shit as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Like these guys don't actually know what they're talking about when it comes to, to video games. We had, the, we had the same thing in CGS as well. We had the same boomer shit in CGS <laughs> that we, in, we made content around it. Like, so there would be like, this is no joke now. They would have the, that thing where you like click on the little white spheres that <laughs> pop up, right? The like, website uh, thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. That measures your reaction yeah. speed, which is like, who gives a shit? It's like one aspect of the game. Like you can have the best reaction speed in the world, but if you yeah. know your crosshair placements off, you're, you're at an inherent disadvantage. So who gives a fuck, right? But anyway, whatever. And what they would do is uh, they, they would literally uh, like a reality TV show. Cameras would be following like a, a general manager around, and the general manager would like go like as if the cameras weren't there. Hmm. I really like the look of Fifth Lauren. Let's get him tested. And then, like, he would sit, or a fifth Lauren, wherever he was in the building, would have to, like, come up to sit at a computer and do a reaction speed test with a GM going like this and going, hmm, yes, very good, excellent, 1.8, and then go away like he was cooking something up in a lab. It was garbage. It was absolute like a bullshit. sci-fi episode or something. Yeah, I know absolute, it's absolute bullshit. Absolute <laughs> bullshit. I mean, like, the stuff they used to pull as well, like, at any time you were in the building, they could call you for an exhibition match against any other team they wanted any other player they wanted 1v1s 5v5s you just had to be on call like a fucking doctor WWE shit or whatever yeah it was it was absolute trash it have been done in a very entertaining manner actually yeah it, well, which, it, i could see how that could be done sweet. well to be yeah. fair <laughs> but but if you, know, you manufactured some beefs and then just had like the throw down 1v1 it could be really entertaining they did do that they did do that christopher <laughs> they, we 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 have into we it had, we had two UK teams where it was like uh, the guys who went on to be Birmingham Salvo were from 1.6. And my team, Z Board, because I was double dipping, I was like, you know, classic conflict interest man in 2007. I'm a manager of one of the teams, but I was also like a CGS reporter. And then CGS binned me because I said something unkind about the league one time. And so any whatever the fuck. So it's a tangled web back in the day. So anyway, my team, they, they had beef. They had beef because they were source and they were 1.6. And they kept putting them together. 
<laughs> they kept saying, right, another another match. We'll settle it for real this time. And then we kept winning. <laughs> and then obviously we lost when it mattered and they didn't get drafted. But like it was it was ridiculous. I mean, like the the at CGS, the film crew came out with us on a night out and was just buying us drinks all night for the purposes of getting us drunk and fucked up. So when we come in, they could film us and go oh, out last night, were you? And we were like the rock and roll guys. It was it was, it was, it was, it was like classic kind of like, bullshit. So again, you have to understand, like when I started seeing things like reaction time tests in the overwatch I'm like, sure. oh, i've done this it's garbage like it, it was it was, it was actually something that people want an amusing example how these shit ideas never leave that's one thing the gamer doc the senior director of performance at evil geniuses bragged about when they signed that player from unreal tournament demon one who's really good in valorant now they bragged that as part of his trial he had really high scores in like the aim labs thing and it's like yeah. you actual cretin even saying that out loud like if you don't know by the way like people have done these things in counter-strike like, some of the best players ever didn't even have the fastest reaction times because no. that's Richard says. Like half the games in your mind, it's not. It's not. It's also, by the way, it doesn't even make that much sense in NFL if you know that. Like famously, people like Jerry Rice don't no. have the best combined score, but yeah. you see him on the field, they're untouchable, aren't they? So. It's just content. That's <laughs> yeah, all it is. True. It's just content. Anyway, um, Chris, I want to. I want to talk. I want to talk about the 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 thing you were discussing about bringing in outside ownership groups. Oh, okay, come uh, because look, this was not just. Activision Blizzard that was doing this like Riot. So what happened during this time period is Riot was actually not planning on franchising until 2018. And because of Overwatch League, they they pushed up their franchising timetable because they were scared shitless about this, by the way, because they were basically they had the as we know from me owning a team and just being summarily executed. Um, you know, their contracts that they had with the teams were garbage. And here here comes Activision Blizzard, and they said, hey, guys, we want to make you partners, and you're going to have all these legal protections, and you're going to own this slot. And clearly, that was really attractive to the, the endemic esports owners because they had never been actually given kind of a partnership proposal before. They were just Riot's bitches, more or less, right? And th this, this did cause Riot to panic. It did cause Riot to... to really emergency put together terms, which also, by the way, made the terms much more owner friendly than probably they would have in both leagues than they then in LCS and in LEC and in um, in Overwatch League than they would have been on their own because the owners were negotiating with both and trying to figure out which way they wanted to go. Um, and as we're bringing in non-endemic ownership groups, Riot was the one who was also pushing this. The franchise fees were not because anybody needed that money, right? What they were was a test of having enough money and capital in order to sustain a team for the long haul and provide stability as a partner. And, you know, honestly, the teams were not too upset about this because it allowed them basically to go get massive bankrolls from venture capital because finally there, there was a problem getting investment a lot of the time before that because there was no security. And all of a sudden, because there was security, because these massive publishers like Riot and Activision Blizzard were getting involved, they were going to have stability like a traditional sports league. And in fact, you know, a lot of these teams exist today because of these franchise slots, and it did get them a lot of revenue. It increased team sponsorship, you know, sponsorship revenue as well due to that stability. And on top of that, bringing in the non-endemic uh, sports owners, I think wasn't a mistake. I think Overwatch League had a good mix of endemic esports owners and non-endemic owners because everybody brought a different level of expertise and if you believed that homestands were the way to the future you wanted people like robert Kraft and and stan Kroenke involved who knew how to activate their local audiences that had 
facilities, you know, that teams could play in. Um, and that they could share their expertise of ticket sales, event planning, everything else with the rest of the league, similarly to how the esports teams could share their expertise of running esports operations with these teams. But just as a little counterpoint to that, I, well, I don't necessarily disagree with all of it. I would, I would say history shows it was actually a bad thing these guys got involved. That's my opinion. Sure. That, that's opinion. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, well, but what, I but think especially I'm, because homestands ultimately failed. The answer is yes, well, they brought very little value. Yeah, but but also right. Okay, so this is why I always compared it to a fucking pyramid scheme, right? Because basically, the reason that people bought in and the reason that people were happy to pay twenty million dollars of someone else's money essentially to come and have a go on this was because a franchise slot you can say is an asset. And if the asset yes, is very publicly valued at 20 million, I have an asset worth 20 million. Now, in no world is an Overwatch franchise, it wasn't worth 20 million on day one. It's not worth 20 million on day end, right? It, it was never, it never got even close to that. But they were able to go out and leverage a $20 million asset for all the other bullshit they got in. So it was, it was, it was. I mean, we were, we were fucking lucky, dude. Like, this could have easily been 2008 again. We're due, we're due a recession. Did we have a recession? I don't know. They keep changing the definition for the old man, but whatever, right? But like this type of fuckery could have led to a total pancake in the industry. Like everyone's like, oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, a video editor lost his job. This could have killed us all. This could have killed us all. This were people misrepresenting the value of assets, taking out loans and accruing sponsors against so the fake value of that asset asset and then not able to sell the asset for what it was valued at that could have gone subprime mortgage levels on us all yeah so no I mean, fuck them fuck there, there, there's there's a there's also a different argument that could be had about lcs slots right now if we're being real overwatch league to lcs viewership isn't that different is LCS higher right now? But Overwatch League is actually stabilized in a pretty okay spot of like fifty to 60,000 concurrent they're viewers. They're fairly close right now. Yeah, yeah they're, yeah, they're fairly close. close. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about it's the only fucking league in the entire world. Sure, sure. <laughs> but my question is, what is the slot worth? Is it worth $20 million? LCS slots are still selling for $20 plus million. Just, just well, pointing I mean, that out. You get to be associated with League of Legends, the most popular game in the world. Now let's compare that to Overwatch. Sure. It's oh, it's furry porn. Wicked. <laughs> that that's its contribution to fucking society. It's had I mean, zero cultural fucking impact. It's a joke. I'm it, 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 and, this. By, by, by the way, the people who play the game don't even like have you ever met an Overwatch person who's happy? Not me. They fucking <laughs> sit there for 15 minutes in a queue while you're being told it's got record player numbers. You get into a game, it's fucking stale as fuck. There's no content. All the stuff they promised you for the sequel which was a sick joke by the way i almost feel sorry for overwatch people not entirely yeah. you, you do deserve it a little bit but I'm, I'm 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 right on the threshold of sympathy right but like at the end of the day I, what do we get out of overwatch there it's nothing there's no property it's not popular anywhere it's just a game that exists for tumblr sex weirdos that's it that that is literally the game so i don't know like i mean put it this way if you gave me a choice now a million to have an Overwatch franchise slot, or like ten million to have an L an, L an LEC slot. It's a no-brainer. I'll, I'll I'll be associated with League of Legends and Riot Games, who sure. somehow have managed to exist long enough to be less despised than Activision Blizzard because of all of Bobby Kotick's bullshit. <laughs> I I I actually think that the Overwatch player base is pretty healthy. 
at the moment. Um, the, 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 means metaphorically, we'll see obviously. when the Steam numbers come in. We'll be able to extrapolate uh, some data. I mean, well, oh, the, the only people who tell us the player numbers are Blizzard, and they fucking lie every day. So who knows? They don't. They don't actually tell you the the player numbers a lot of the time. Um, yeah, no, of course but, not. Why would they? The the player numbers, from what I understand, I can't say too much without revealing sources, are pretty comparable to Valorant's player base. Uh, By the way, every, here's a, a razor slash a lens you can apply to esports. They brag about the fake numbers, mate. If you have a real number, you, you put it everywhere. You put it on billboards. You don't hide that you've got millions of people playing a game and it's awesome. There'd be no reason to. Like, it's not information that would need to be secret. And then also, I'm, first of all, Richard's thing, that's why low-key, if it could have made it to TV levels, it would be perfect for an American TV audience. They'd just be selling you antidepressants and dick pills all day long. <laughs> that's exactly what that audience needs you know uh, by the way Duncan, if you could keep some of those links for me i'd be okay. really appreciative <laughs> the other thing is i'm with richard though i actually really think if you look this is what started the snowball that put even the best businesses in esports right behind the eight ball about to be knocked yeah. the fuck out today which is all these orgs if you don't know it was rare that you had the team liquids of the world that took a load of money and sold the equity and i remember people back then going bloody idiots they're selling it all out they won't last very long except the joke is everyone had to catch up with the year or two because you first needed your overwatch league slot so if you were a really good business like a cloud nine doesn't matter you better buy in what you're going to get left behind while everyone else comes in and overtakes you then they do the lcs as well that we're going to get franchising that so suddenly you've gone to the vc group once twice you're selling now yeah you get the bullshit angle richard's talking about suddenly tsm's valued at 400 million dollars as a company spoiler this is where some of the owners are marks if that was ever even vaguely a real number you're a moron for not selling me you'll never get that back in your life again that'll never be coming back around again you if you could have sold your company for 200 million I don't know what you're thinking, mate. Now it might be worth 20 million if you look at it. But if you go back, this is like in the movie Terminator 2, the central plot everyone forgets, where Miles Dyson, the guy who's invented that process yeah. in the future, they go back to the time before he's done it and they're going to kill him, right, when he's still working on it so that he never can invent the Terminators that later come on through Skynet and that, right? Essentially, if you had to go back in esports, obviously don't kill them, just neutralize them. Shout out CIA. Like, if you were to go back in time, you would go back to right before the Overwatch League and you'd stop that because if everything then just stayed as like companies that had LCS teams and maybe they ran this way and we spend a bit, but we've got a budget, we've got to balance. Instead, this was just like for five years through Overwatch, LCS, CDL, it just became like a little kid's feeding frenzy of like, Daddy, can I have more money? Oh, I've spent it all now. Can I have more money though? And they just kept getting it. And in doing so, remember, this is what fans always get wrong. I saw this with the LCS walkout. Fans think investment money is just free money. You've sold equity in your company. Once you've done that enough times, it doesn't matter how sick the brand is, there is no company. There's no more equity to sell. It goes down in value. And you, do, you don't own the company anymore. You're going to be the one that, by the way, eventually you just get kicked out by the board. You're like some Steve Jobs shit. Even though it's your company, you started it. You're the reason why. You're the spirit of the team. You're out, mate. And so to me, that is actually where the, the rot really took place. There was plenty of bad actors in esports. There was plenty of morons, but there was some good businessmen too. And some of them were making progress and they were sort of making it just about work. And then thanks to Overwatch League, into, into all of that, you are, end up where you are now. And the joke is, what's the current model proposed by the Riot Games of the world? This is how you know even LCS and LHC don't work. It's the other way around. They give you a slot if you're a good team and pay you to be in VCT. That's the opposite, guys. They've essentially admitted it's not a business. It's actually like you're yep. marketing their game, essentially. 
Yeah, so look, I want to get us to talk about the homestand model itself. Be a good spot for Harsha to get in here. But I'm going to do it through just pointing to an example that sort of always blew my mind. And, like, one of the things I hear in esports is there's this, like, fake sense of fraternity in the industry where it's like all esports are equal and we're all in it together and we just want the industry to succeed. And those people, by the way, go, as soon as they're finished talking to you and saying, good luck in your thing, they go and make 10 decisions to fuck you over, right? It's all just fake nonsense. So when Dallas Fuel had their homestand, and remember, they came out and there was a press release where they said we sold all our tickets to a maximum capacity crowd. They also misrepresented the number of the crowd because they said it was 9,000 when it was two days of 4,500, not the same, uh, and also left out the convenient fact that they were giving away free tickets in fucking, was it GameStop or Best Buy or something two, with yeah. every purchase? Uh, so anyway, everyone was all high-fiving and saying, yeah, we've done it, we've sold out the homestand. It... Overwatch esports can absolutely work. Now, keep in mind, this was happening while the pandemic was just sort of brewing in the background. Um, definitely not in a lab, though. And they, everybody, we all had to change the model right afterwards. But I heard the numbers, and I, I, I saw the numbers of the Dallas homestand, and they were making it out like it was profitable, and it absolutely wasn't. So the homestand model was a bust even without the pandemic, if, so, it, if it was working. So let if, me, if, yes. Okay, let, me have, let me talk about why it's about. Right. Yeah, so just to, to describe what the homestand model had to be in order to be successful, and this was one of the major sticking points with a lot of owners, is that the cost of the homestand didn't really change no matter what the size of the audience was. You know, renting a larger arena obviously is more expensive, but the real expensive part was the expectation that the each ownership group was going to pay for the production of that week's yes. homestands. Right. And so if you sold out a 5,000-person venue, it was the same as effectively selling out a 1,000-person venue in terms of cost. So the real battle was, how do you make the homestands profitable? Because you need a you need a large arena to do that because you can't just do it at a smaller scale because there were ex expectations around production quality and the production quality was basically a fixed cost. And this was a massive, massive sticking point as we moved into homestands. Arja? Yeah. I can talk about this with like some level of detail because I think I, at least my team probably went to the most homestands out of all the teams because we were in um, doing like an American tour, I guess, uh, before, like in just five weeks of homestands, we had gotten like strep throat twice each. Um, we, we were like living in hotels four days out of, out of the week, like every week. Um, I couldn't even bring like half my team to the homestands because like they were too sick to travel basically. Uh, and this is before COVID. Um, like I think if I had to do, if I had to put up with like several more weeks of that, I think I would have just straight up like retired on the spot. I think a lot of my players probably were in like very similar boats because it was actually just so mentally taxing, not even being like home ever. Um, we couldn't practice ever because you know you only get like two real days of practice a week. We're having to find like random PC cafes where your your desk is like you know twenty inches long and you can't even put your mouse pad on it like just to practice in in other states. So it like it was. From like a from like a team perspective, it was absolutely terrible. Um, I don't know how much detail I can go into with with you know the monetary figures, but I'll I'll just say this in terms of like what I know of several of the homestands. They're operating at at close to like one million dollar losses 
um, for several of these homestands, including like, you know, selling merch, selling tickets, selling, you know, all these like fan packs and stuff like that. From what I can tell, there was so much money going into uh, the production, going into the venue, going into, you have to, there's like so many random different costs too. Like you have to get like a, a PPA. So like a, a player practice area, basically where every team can practice for several hours a day. Um, I was told by several teams that, that, you know, these losses were approaching like 600, 700,000 per homestand. And some of these teams were signed up for, you know, four or five homestands for the, for the year. Like Basically that makes jobless, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like, like when you guys say COVID saved the league, like I, yeah, I totally agree. I can't see any world where this would have like, I think Overwatch would have just died after 2020 if uh, COVID didn't happen. Yeah, Basically, and, what and, people don't know is even if you take the number of people attending, even if they really were buying tickets, spoiler, in America at least, that's almost never happened as far as I know. ESL in CSGO used to literally, they've done this, give like a fucking box of tickets to like a, a student group and go hand them out to people. Like no one's ever even reaching the capacity of the 10,000 they claim, right? Even if they did though, what you have to remember is this, that's a venue where you go and watch someone for three hours in concert. You don't run it for 12 hours with all these games and make a weekend pass $100. I'm not a fan of them, but people will know if you try to get, like, Taylor Swift tickets. Sure as fuck isn't, like, the pro rata down to three hours out of 100 for a weekend. It'll be, like, what, 500 just for the three hours or something like that? Like, the scale never made any sense. So, actually, the joke is it looks great, and all the people are going to come up to Monty and go, I'm a huge fan of Overwatch, but you actually aren't adding revenue. You're fucking directly increasing the expenses of having a team. Like, yeah. think about it. If you had a team, you bought a slot for 20, 30 million. You do seven of these. That's it. It's conservative. You do like 700K or whatever. Mate, you, you can't even last a couple of years. You'll just be out the whole league. There's no way you're going to get that money through the door. The, the reality was is that they had to sell out much larger venues in order to make profits. Like that's just it because of the expectations around the production quality of the homestands and the experience of the homestands. So it wasn't that the, the thousand person venues in Texas weren't selling out. It's that it was still operating at a massive loss, right? Yeah. And I think that was that was one of the main issues, and that became really serious. And it, you know, it got so fucking insane. I have to say, by 2019, regarding the homestand model, what was happening at Blizzard was that there were people who were high-level Blizzard employees whose jobs were to figure out the homestand problem. Now, this is a epic logistics issue as we've been dis discussing probably an impossible logistics issue but i would be in meetings where we would be talking about the caster pairs and mm -hmm. our schedules and where we would be at certain times in the year and how long we would be on these like road trips away from home as well and uh, you know this was happening in this in the kind of like back half of the season of of 2019 and what was so crazy is we all knew that this was this was a disaster Everybody knew that this was not going to be economically feasible and that it was absolute insanity to be to be spending resources on even exploring this idea. They probably spent, no joke, millions of dollars trying to figure out this problem on, you know, travel agents, uh, high level employee salaries, everything like that. The amount of effort it took to make this schedule when what should have been happening, and this is after Nate left. And, I, you know, I can only speculate as to the reasons why Nate left, but I would imagine that this was one of the reasons why Nate Nanzer, the commissioner, left. Um, 
it, because the the upper level people like Pete Flastelica, who was ultimately in charge of absolutely everything, he was Nate's boss, did not want to go to Bobby Kotick and tell him, hey, this thing that we had planned just ain't going to work. I think he didn't want to be the bearer of bad news to Bobby Kotick. And so they just kept this farce going on internally for such a long time when in reality, we could have just said, okay, well, let's make a sustainable structure and make that plan instead. And that was never really, that was never even really contemplated. And had the pandemic not happened, the Titanic would definitely have hit the iceberg, by the way. Like the iceberg was coming. Everybody on the ship knew the iceberg was coming. And it was, it would be very easy to just change course and avoid the iceberg. But luckily, the pandemic melted the iceberg before the Overwatch League could hit it, which sustained the life of the Overwatch League, I think, for several more years. If I can just bring this in as well, because I know we're, we're going to... I am going to do some stuff with the Morgan Stanley document. But this was from the original document about what their sort of expectations were for live event attendance and profits therefrom, right? So... Keep in mind, this is this is for this all has the guise of being sound. It, you know, it, it does have a disclaimer saying it's just financial advice. You know, things may vary, but it's it's Morgan Stanley's name on it. You know, so it, it's a prestigious you know name. Anyway, it says here we see each regular season event involving eighteen mini tournaments that changed, didn't it? Taking place over three days and drawing eighteen thousand live fans per day. Like that would make it the biggest esport of all fucking that, that, time. That is that is an NBA stadium, by the yes. way. Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> and in some cases, and for some franchises, not even right. Yeah. Drawing eighteen thousand live fans per day, which after a twenty-five dollar average ticket price translates into thirteen million in ticket sales revenue. We then assume. <laughs> that merchandise sales are 20% of ticket sales. So keep in mind that what you have to do is you have to sell out an 18,000 seat stadium for Overwatch at $25 a ticket. Nobody could do that. Donald Trump and the art of the deal could not do that, right? Then 20% of attendees have to spend uh, merchandise, equivalent by merchandise equivalent to 20% of that 13 million. It is absolute nonsense. And, and so... You know, the reality of the homestand model was just, it, 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 it was pie in the sky from day one, and Monty's 100% right. Like, I saw a lot of people gloating that, like, Richard Lewis said the Overwatch dying would drive investment away from esports, but the investors left before the Overwatch League died. He has really lost. He was never right about the league. The pandemic basically stopped. Like, that's the one thing I didn't factor into my prophecy. Sorry, I'm not really the Kwisatz Haderach, just to do a Dune reference to keep that running on in, on this podcast. Yeah, I, I didn't foresee a global pandemic. My bad. But, like, the league would have 100% died. 100% after one season of this madness. Play, like, players were already looking at this schedule, and I know Harsh can confirm this. The South Korean players were looking at this schedule and going, I would rather do my national service <laughs> <laughs> well no also yeah, Richard, yeah. here's here's the other here's the other low-key thing that saved the overwatch league pandemic loans to the teams yeah which i suppose i'll i'll, I'll set that up a little bit and then we can talk about that because uh, i did a report on this and basically what happened was and jake wolf did some great reporting around this too 
basically what happened was during the pandemic, obviously there was these, what was it, payment protection plan loans that you could get from the yep. government, PPP, um, small PPP energy. And of course, during the pandemic, everyone had to move from the homestand model. But of course, we were already committed to like studio closing in Burbank. And there was still going to be costs involved, not to mention teams couldn't play while we were figuring out how to pivot to online. And so team owners are going, look, we've got to keep this team running. We've got to keep this franchise running. We've got to keep this venue that we can't use rented. Uh, can you give us some of our fucking money back, Blizzard, right? And Blizzard went, listen, listen, there's been a lot of talk about you getting some money back. I don't know if you know about these fantastic things called PPP loans. Yeah. And, I got, and I got told that basically there was people at Blizzard that helped talk the team owners through how to apply for these loans, which, by the way, I'm not saying anybody in esports scammed anyone, but... When when I looked at the intent of the PPP loans, I thought they were for like mom and pop stores, small businesses, not VC owned mega corporation brands. Like, and there's been a ton of scams in this area. I don't know if there's been any in esports, but you know, just to put it into context, FaZe was like one of these orgs that was having. A, oh, can we get more of them PPP loans? Fucking wicked. We'll have loads of them, you know. And you see how badly they've been run lately. So. I don't know. I mean, that that for me was another aspect of the pandemic that artificially kept the league alive. There was a nut. Like, what does it say about your fucking esport that a, a much more reliable revenue stream was a government bailout? <laughs> Fuck this game, you know? I just want to know when Biden's going to cancel the uh, franchise fee debt. <laughs> by the way along those lines there's a couple more things from the early days that were factors that I thought were crazy as well so here's one right out the gate this just shows you that like esports game devs they don't care about conflict of interest they only care if someone like Richard makes enough noise that some people go wait a minute and then maybe they like just make a real sort of sort it out will you and then don't even check if they did so one thing that I remember was mental is when they announced all the slots around the world when they announced that one of the Chinese slots yeah. And the Chinese slot went to NetEase, the people who distribute Overwatch in their region, but then there were going to be other slots bought by other people. Now, if anyone can't see the conflict of interest, that it's mental. That's actually absurd. And by the way, go watch Richard's channel if you want to see some hilarious stuff on how it ended in China. Like the joke is they essentially said, fuck Bobby Kotick, and all just pulled out at the end. Yeah, which is why, the, which is why the, the, I, think, I think that's driven this thing deal because you can get right. overwatch 2 on steam now right. and, and because they lost the distribution rights with NetEase in china making the game effectively banned by the way this is this decision ultimately we can laugh about all the others the 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 argument with people people assume it's bobby kotick because a NetEase executive said it was one jerk was the right. word he, words he used that caused them to pull out of the deal uh but essentially the the inability to distribute the game in china is probably the final name in the coffin it was already on shaky ground but the chinese teams from a legal perspective couldn't play the game in china so they were having nice. to come up with solutions for it they were hoping to get another chinese distributor but what they found out was they they don't because they've all got to work together there's a lot of like nepotism and corruption but also of course you know it all goes back to the uh, you know chinese communist party government um ultimately they couldn't find another chinese partner now steam on the other hand valve has acquiesced and has a specific version of steam that you can get games on in china and i'm just wondering this is speculation of course but i'm just wondering if what drove the deal to sell on steam wasn't just a dwindling player base but it's because steam 
Steam is approved to be sold in China because they work with the Chinese government to create a version that will keep the youth away from all the objectionable, objectionable material, like Tibet flags. So, you know, I, I, I think that one decision right there, you know, and, and like you saw how derisory it was, like Chengdu hunters just walk away. They walked away from it like it was a burnt out car, like, I'll oh, give a fuck. You know what I mean? Everyone's laughing at them for missing out on the bag, but I don't think people realize how much you fucking spend on these teams. You know, like people, I saw some official Overwatch podcast saying, I think the costs of running a team for like a season is about $300,000. Not in your wildest dreams, is it that low? So, you know, at the end of the day, I think that it's just been a cavalcade of like terrible decisions around this league. And to tie, to wrap it up in a bow, I think the reason they're getting 6 million back, these team owners, is to avoid potential litigation at having been misrepresented and sold a lemon when they bought the slot. I can't imagine that there isn't something like that going on. Let's look at the material facts. They went to a law firm. We know that. Collectively, for the first time ever, all the team owners go to a law firm. The law firm specializes in technology, right? Uh, and, and, and they say, we're not doing a class action. We're definitely not, but we're, we're, we're just using them for communication. We know that. Then we know after that happened, Blizzard waived all future fees and now we're giving them six million back. Nah, guys, come on. Come on. We all know what's gone on there, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think I, th I think there's just been some fucking calamitous, like last minute decisions around the league so, just to finally get it put to bed. Yeah, I'm actually curious, Harsha, what your experience was, because you as a as a coach, you coached both on. So you, you, you ha you've had a very interesting career in that, like. You worked with Andy Miller, who owns NRG, who's more of like an endemic esports person at this point in time. Then you worked with a professional sports owner who, for the Vancouver Titans, who owns the the Canucks, right? The uh, the yeah. hockey team. And then you worked for a not a sports team or a you a know radio a, a radio company. network, a radio <laughs> company that bought the Houston Outlaws. So, what was each of their takes around the financial stability of the league and what they had been sold versus what they had been getting? And what did the owners want? Because I'm very curious, because you, you actually hit all three of the major ownership categories, I would say. Well, this won't re I, can, I can probably talk about this freely without revealing sources or anything. But sure. at least for, for you know, working with NRG and Andy Miller and whatnot, like, that team is, was very, I guess, uh, what's the word for it? Like, enthusiastic or like they expected, they expected Overwatch to be like a big like, cultural phenomenon from, from what I, you know, could could tell from speaking to them um andy generally seems to be an owner that like does uh really like enjoy participating in overwatch league and they put together good teams every year and whatnot so you know that was my experience with them but then when i when i worked with the titans um i think a lot of the people that spoke to me are no longer working at the company but but basically like it seemed like they were sold a false bill of goods in from their perspective and then instantly they were just so antagonistic with blizzard like um this is a figure that i that i remember and again like this won't reveal any uh, who told me this but they told me that like after they were sold the team they and i don't know why they didn't ask this beforehand they told me after they were sold the team they asked how many overwatch players were in the pacific northwest and like um and like vancouver region and they were told something insane like 30,000 people actively play the game within not just Vancouver, but like British Columbia and like the Pacific Northwest of the US. And like, let's say 
esports has like a one percent conversion rate, if anything. Yeah, uh, for, that's for, fair. So what is one percent of thirty thousand? That's like three hundred people. <laughs> so I don't know what they what they really expected when they were uh, joining the league. Um, and then you know if we talk about Outlaws, um, that was a radio company. You know, uh, you can say what you want about esports, but radio is also not an amazing uh, venture right now. So I, I think they. They kind of <laughs> struck out with both uh, deals, if you were to ask me. By the way, another example of how brilliant it is to have global esports leagues and accommodate everyone's feelings and inclusivity is inclusivity is a code for exclusivity. So, for example, when they had the Overwatch World Cup, one of the most lauded things, do you remember a team being played, Monty? They were called Chinese Taipei. Do you remember that country? I don't know. I keep looking on it. I can't find Chinese Taipei. I'm looking at what countries call China, what country calls themselves Chinese Taipei. I can't find it, but I can find all these VODs on the internet saying they played. So essentially, <laughs> If you're from the country of Taiwan, you had to pretend you weren't from your country. And you, even though you're not in any way in a Chinese league, you have to pretend you're from another country owned by another country as part of their country to participate in a video game tournament. So that's another example of how the rot that began in esports. We were way ahead of the Saudi stuff, boys. We were all on the China train back then. I think it was well, even more ridiculous. I think they had a white flag as their as their yes, national flag. Is, which is which is uh, that's the standing. I mean, there was, have to use, you know. I I think you know as we move away from the the issues with the regionalization and the homestand models, which are are readily apparent. One thing that I want to bring up is you know there were there were so many problems, and we do need to talk about the developer problem, which was pretty massive. Sure. Um, but before we get to the developer problem, I want to talk about the tone and product problem just a little bit. So when I was told, when I first signed my contract and Nate Nanzer came up to me, he basically said that he wanted Overwatch League to be like kind of edgy and cool. He, he, he cited yep. inside the NBA. And so obviously this was really attractive to me um, mm -hmm. because that's the kind of content that I enjoy creating. And I thought, finally, we can, we can re be real esports, if you know what I mean. We don't have to make it into a professional sports broadcast like riot was really trying to do at the time and that a lot of people thought was the best way to move forward we could be more creative we could be more edgy we could be more fun we could really uh, uh, you know integrate well with our with our audience and what ended up actually happening was by the time overwatch league started the sales team had sold it to disney xd and so we were on like a children's television An amazing network. Name, by the way, for esports, when he comes to the XD, it's like that stupid, like crying emoji. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what, what an amazing so, channel. <laughs> so they had they had sold it to Disney XD and ESPN and ABC, which are all owned by Disney, right? And we were supposed to kind of dumb down the content and make it more palatable. So in the end, the thing that I signed the contract for, and I think Nate Danzer's vision of what over the tone of Overwatch League should be was basically taken over by a bunch of people who wanted to sanitize it even more than other esports which and then this this really reached a peak and I, I've said this before and it's it sounds ridiculous when I say this but I think that banning Pepe was one of the worst things that Overwatch League did and it yep. might this sounds insane okay because it sounds so stupid that banning a frog emote would be would be terrible for the league but I think what happened when they banned the Pepe emote was it was so tone deaf to the core esports audience that basically people who 
came from esports who were willing, as we saw in the first day viewership, they were willing to give Overwatch a shot. They were at least interested in it. By the time we banned Pepe, the core esports audience, it turned us into a laughing stock with, <laughs> with core esports fans because it it's was still so used in LEC. The teams themselves still use the Pepe the Frog all the time. It's oh, yeah. Almost famous no, they're, game they're, sort of memes yeah. of all yeah, time. Of course. It. And and yes. so, you know, it was it was at that time that they said it was that they said it was like racist. But even if you go to the American, uh, the Anti-Defamation League website and look up Pepe the Frog, I have it on my screen right now. Here is what it says. It, it literally says the majority of uses of Pepe the Frog have been and continue to be non-bigoted. However, it was inevitable as the meme proliferated in online venues such as 4chan, 8chan, and Reddit, blah, 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 a subset of Pepe memes would come into existence that centered on racist, anti-Semitic, or other bigoted themes. Right. Just on, basically, this, just on this, talk, just to inject a little point of information, just to make it sound like it's Congress, I did a video on the history of this on my YouTube channel. Sure. So some key little details to, to remember here is the okay. only reason we're all pretending that a cartoon frog is a racist symbol, and by the way, you'll notice no one does it anymore, is because in the 2016 uh, election campaign, Hillary Clinton decided to try and score some cheap political points because Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out, she'd, she'd made the faux par of saying that Trump supporters were a bucket of deplorables. And basically, if you didn't want to vote for her, you were a scumbag. That was the political message. Like, literally, her campaign message was, fuck you, it's my turn. So anyway, what she then decided to do was, D Donald Trump Jr. tweeted this thing out saying, the deplorables looks okay to me. And in it was a feels good man, Pepe, right? Right? Uh, but but don't like look like Donald Trump. And so realizing the deplorable faux par, she then said said it is a white supremacist symbol. Look, they're actively doing it. Then she went to the Daily Beast. They had a journalist there called Olivia Nutzi, I believe her name is, who now is surprisingly based. It's almost as if it's all a grift and a hustle. But the Daily Beast, guess who sits on the board of that? Oh, it's only Hillary Clinton's daughter. It's only Chelsea Clinton. Bloody hell, what a surprise. They wrote an article saying that it was had been co-opted by white supremacists and the whole thing snowballs from there. You want to know what's interesting? On Hillary Clinton's website where she said that, that post doesn't even exist anymore you have to go find it in archives but they also had political operative goons at the adl sort of say it got literally added off the back of hillary clinton's request and even then they had to say yeah but not all the time so it is it was never a racist symbol it, in no. fact, it was one of the well, it was one of the most popular memes on the internet and for overwatch is. yeah and, and will always be because it is a blank canvas for which yes. you project right uh, you know, yes, by exactly. The way, and listen to this. Listen yeah. to this, Richard, on the Anti-Defamation League website. Listen to this. However, because so many Pepe the Frog memes are not bigoted in nature, it is important to examine use of the meme only in context. Yes. The mere fact of posting a Pepe meme does not mean that someone is racist or a white supremacist. However, if the meme itself is racist or anti-Semitic in nature, or if it appears in a context containing bigoted or offensive language or symbols, then it may have been used for hateful purposes. Newsflash, guys. Things aren't racist. But they are racist if they have hateful imagery associated with them. That could be literally anything. anything. It could be literally any kitty. image. Go look it up. It's a phenomenon. Yeah. And, and yeah. here's why Overwatch fucked up so much with this. It's not just that it was culturally tone deaf. Think about the initial scandal of the Overwatch League, right? I looked at all the history before I wrote my article on my Substack. The initial premise was it was a sexist league because there weren't any women players. That was what they did. That's what they invited in for critique when they went to all their yep. friends in the media. 
Gaguri was the, meant to be the player that could come and play in the league. She was the best female player at the time. She did indeed get into the league at some point. Her name literally means frog, and you have banned the frog meme that people used <laughs> yep. to hold up to support yep. her. So to yep. appease one bunch of delusional lunatics, you have essentially penalised the support for the for the woman who could have been the female ambassador for your game. The, like, use your fucking brains, you clowns. Like, yep. Remember, they and, also and, did the other classic one. They said that the OK sign is racist as well. They did mm -hmm. they banned that as well. They did all that's that's like call the tone. Well. They fucked the yeah. tone from day one, basically. Yes. And, and so what what this means, it, my point of this is like because they strayed away from the original vision and they did things that alienated their core viewership of people who enjoy internet or esports culture, they they basically all end on a Disney XD audience adopting, you know. They're at the content and, and filling these stadiums in those numbers. And that's such an that is such a precarious position to put yourself in where you are. You must acquire a vast new audience of people who are not part of current esports fandom in order to succeed. And so I think the Pepe stuff was just completely ridiculous. And you know what I told people internally at the time? I said, you cannot ban Pepe, even if you want to. And here's why. Because if you if if the internet knows that you will ban anything if you throw Nazi symbols onto it, what is going to happen when they start using Blizzard IP and throwing Nazi symbols on it? What happens that, that when you happened turn that week? That yeah, that week. I said I said literally, what happens if you turn Tracer into a Nazi? Do you have to disavow your own game? Like you cannot set this precedent because it is going to fuel the trolls in a way that you will not believe. Yep, like, you completely. can't do it. And remember as well, I mean, it also just showed you, and this will be a good little segue, um, it also showed you the grotesque overreach that Activision Blizzard was willing to go to in a way that not even Riot Games would do. Because remember, the Pepe scandal emanated from somebody posting a Pepe with Fields' birthday man on it, right? And they made the player take it down. <laughs> Yeah. They made the player on his own Twitter sure. account, which is in no way affiliated with Activision Blizzard, they made him take it down because they, it had a Pepe in it, and that was contrary to the league ops. It was crazy. They went, on, yeah. they went on a Pepe. They were just hunting Pepes, man. Like, they went into the team discords and made them remove all their Pepe mm -hmm. emotes for the yep. team. So there would be, like, you know, a, a, every team would have their own Pepe emote that they had made for their fans in their Discord, and they were like, teams, please remove all the Pepe emotes. This is a Pepe roundup. Uh, genocide. <laughs> yeah. No, also, so, I mean, this was always Blizzard. Richard can tell you this. When they did the Overwatch like Open, the first ever tournament that E League ran, it was right when the Harambe meme was out, and they told the casters, yeah. "You mention Harambe when Winston's on camera." Yeah, <laughs> which was hilarious, by the way. Which was just like, guys, do you just not get this? Do you know what? Do you not know what gaming is? Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah, it, and, it was, and like like I said, a, band, so, a list of banned words circulated in the studio. Arambe was yeah. on it. That was yeah, the yeah, time yeah. when everybody was going with some guys. Harambe. Thanks yeah. to them, he died for nothing. Yeah, yeah. we could we could have remembered Harambe. Exactly. No, Activision Blue. Been, so, anyway, in a game that this, was this, so fake for like four years. Just just like the homestand thing was not, you know, it, basically the 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 logistics around the league changed from the original plan. What I was sold when I signed my contract was so different to what I showed up for on day one of the league in 2018. And it just continued to get worse and worse and worse because they were so paranoid of some larger scandal that they alienated their audience. And I and you were right, Richard, in regards to 
the article that you wrote that the biggest day of viewership was day one of the Overwatch League. Correct. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I think they really just burned the bridge with a lot of core esports fans who, like I said, I think were willing to give Overwatch League a shot. I think they were there was a lot of really fun hype around this the birth of a new esport and the support of, you know, the mass scale support of Activision Blizzard and the resources they were being will, you know, they were willing to to put into this. And honestly, like it was amazing to be there at the beginning. The studio was incredible. It, yep. it, it, just, the, you know, the, the, the effort they put into this and the effort that everybody who was involved with the league in did to, tr to attempt to make this a success uh, was really fun to be a part of and I think very admirable. Mm. I mean, look, I'll, I'll just on a point of viewership, because I guess we sort of need to talk about that and how that interfaces with the illusion of a fan base. Um, you know, I believe viewership is an important metric, but it should never be the be-all and end-all because, as Harsha has rightly said, with a 1% conversion rate, um, you know, it just it, coming in from the game in general, it's like how uh, these fantastical numbers we've had in esports, particularly the Chinese ones, uh, I think have set very false expectations about just how big the esports fan base actually is and how many people will be committed and dedicated to it. But one of the things that I cannot believe is the way Activision Blizzard has, and Twitch, by the way, were complicit with this, have been given a total pass for misrepresenting these numbers. And and oh, well, they view botted the league. Yes, exactly. Well, there you go. And and and, <laughs> and, and, and how did they? Do I mean, that? straight I mean, up, like like uh, here's here's the thing, guys. Twitch actually, I don't know if they still have it. They used to have a service that you could buy from Twitch. They sold it. They sold it. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 it used to Twitch curse, itself, but they sold it. Yeah. Tw Twitch used to have a uh, uh they Twitch used to have a service where they would sell Twitch, you know, people on Twitch view botting effectively. Yep. Um, and they were and, like, they, and they were doing they were doing this for the launch of the league. Now, along with that, right, and there was just so much misinformation, right, like go, going around, and it was esports people peddling this m misinformation because all, like you say, Harsher, the word vulture, so appropriate. <laughs> they were all the carrion was out waiting to feast on whatever they could get from the trickle down from this league, and so this is what was going on for this league. They embedded like the league on so many sites, like The Verge was one uh, like sb nation polygon because what what you would do is you, through curse which was a twitch-owned company you could request a service that where they would put your stream onto a website in one of those little pop-up videos and they're always fucking with it so you get around the video at the bottom of the it, page yeah, and it auto plays but it wasn't a video it was a stream and so if i just happened to be scrolling one of those websites on that day I'm a viewer. And then they also had it just playing on Battle.net. So if you were idling your Battle.net account, bored, not playing any games, just chilling, having some ramen, whatever the fuck, right? You were a viewer. You were a viewer too. Then combine all of the other just rubberneckers. I just wanted to see it. Like, what's it going to be? All the industry people that were like, oh, I've got some friends working on that show. Let's check it out. And then slowly but surely, right, on day one, it was insufferable. On day one, it was insufferable. I was seeing people I like and respect going, look, look, <laughs> Richard, you were wrong. 400,000 viewers. It's already going to go to the moon. To the moon, I tell you. The dickheads, all of them. Right? I think the day one viewership was real, by the way. I think that one was real. 
listen, never. Nothing about this league is real, mate. You're never going to get me on board with that. It's, it's the most fake, contrived corporate slop I've ever seen served up in esports. It is good that it failed because everything would have been like this had it succeeded. So, uh, you know, brands that don't even exist with teams that pretend to represent you and your town, except the Philadelphia team is in South Korea. Fuck this league. It's garbage, right? So uh, anyway, so they were doing all of that. I and mean, here's the madness. Do you think maybe Twitch were a little bit invested in it succeeded after they were fucking forced into paying $90 million in a deal that has all of the hallmarks of a mafia shakedown. Because what happened in that deal? Again, this needs to be totally understood. Prior to... Right, so Twitch get bought out by Amazon. 970 million, record-breaking stuff. I, I think I broke that story. Whatever the fuck. Anyway, they everyone at that point is like, holy shit, like 970 million? But like... We've been, my game is on that platform. And so Activision Blizzard go to Twitch and they go, we get a piece of that money, right? Our game's a major platform. And they go, no, all the free fucking advertising you get is what you get. You don't get any of that bag. That's my bag. That's the bag for pioneering tech bag, right? So Activision Blizzard got pissed off and then they went out and they started looking at buying a streaming platform. They went to Azubu, but then found out Azubu was just an office with a lawn chair in it. It was a money laundering service. Right? Yeah, and all of that streaming streaming service was a white label solution third yep. party they had it was, no it was definitely a money laundering scheme so then, then they went and got mlg now mlg were coming off the back of having hosted all these great events you know, obviously legends in call of duty legends in halo they just done cs it was widely regarded in 2016 as like the best major we'd had in columbus everybody wanted in on that shit you know there was a bit of a renaissance for cs and na with e-league and all that other stuff so they went and they bought mlg and they said you're going to produce all of our, our events and then they went back to the table for Twitch and they said, seeing this massive sports league where we fucking conned a bunch of people to come into it. So it's definitely legit, guys. What are you going to pay us to exclusively stream on your platform? Because we've got our own platform now. And Twitch went, fucking hell. And there was one guy at Twitch who was like really like keen on making this deal because he had pals at Activision Blizzard, pals in the teams. And obviously like was like, listen, if this works, it's going to take us to a new dimension and all the complete nonsense. And so somehow they come back to the table of 90 million million dollars for two years of 45 million dollars exclusivity plus, plus a 10 million uh incentive yes. uh, based on viewership by the way richard i mean you described this but honestly like that is some genius business maneuvering by bobby kotick straight up i mean like I mean, he, he played <laughs> twitch so hard dude like yeah because he threatened because the aspect of it that uh, it, it, i didn't say that is it basically when they said well we don't want to pay 90 million blizzard said we can pull all our games off your platform and stream them on mlg tv which is a big dick move, dude. they did the preseason on ml mlg oh TV i remember to to big dick twitch and show them they weren't it fucking was kind around. Of amazing so so <laughs> twitch then come back paid 90 million and duncan is right if you ever want to know why streaming platforms don't pay to broadcast esports anymore it's because of what the overwatch yes. league did so oh, i, I said, totally i totally yeah. agree with the long-term damage but at the time like it was pretty bold no, it was a pretty problem, bold Monty. Move. Here's the problem that Bobby Kotick had there is what all the idiots who are the scammers in esports have is a good scam. You get out of town when you rip everyone off and you send the snake oil. You go work. Snake oil didn't work. You want to buy some more? This idiot skinned the fucking sheep and then was like, right, uh, can we share the sheep next week? He's like, you skinned it. It's done. Like he wanted to stick around and then go, can I have another crack? Then there's a couple more things here. One, I'll just say this. If you want to know an example, 
example of what Richard's talking about of the absolute fucking clout goblins who took their integrity and credibility in esports and pissed it away for crumbs from Blizzard. One famous dickhead on Twitter who used to have a Quake logo, I think I've given it away for the OGs there, he did this tweet in 2020, May 24th, 2020. Overwatch League at the highest level is an incredible competitive game and the Overwatch League continues to showcase that. Richard's even the first reply with the fucking image of like Eric Antonio of like, please say psych, please. <laughs> That's what actual OGs were doing. They were selling their ass. And then here's another thing. A more serious... was outrageous back then. Like, it was so. pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> here's a more serious point though that we haven't even brought up. They also, this is another thing I believe was once uh, being investigated because you also remember when you get into hundreds and hundreds of million, like 900 million, the government might go, we might have a little look in there. <laughs> the so, off, yeah. The things they did in a, in a league where everyone gets to have millions and millions. The teams have got millions and millions. Blizzard gets hundreds of millions. You get fucking, you're paying millions for events. You'd figure at least, remember, the one people who normally make out like bandits in esports are bloody players, right? They must at least have gotten a little taste, all those Koreans grinding. Did they fuck? Because it was always an open secret behind the scenes there was a soft salary cap and do you know why the word soft is there because your ass will be literally in prison if you try <laughs> doing that shit you yeah. try doing that living by the way the teams in fucking LA California of all the by the way two places that are so mental that they put esports is LA and, and Germany you idiot these are the places where all the <laughs> laws are you yeah. Yeah, these are the ones where you get the joke is have it in China you are so you could probably get away with it if you have the connections <laughs> just talking about you yeah. put it in a place where as it was being investigated at one point i believe if they'd it, ever yeah, proven they this because i heard behind the scenes and this happened in esports before but never at this scale people were just sort of like right here's the cap of where you're allowed to go to so it meant by the way if you were the michael jordan of the overwatch league you could never get anything close to the kind of money that even some dickhead american lcs player was on yeah, I mean, I knew. Uh, so we all knew that it was called luxury tax. Again, they were using like Orwellian language to cloak what it is because you can't put a salary cap in place without other protections. Again, players' union being absolutely crucial. And we know that this was a league that I had to leak their rule book publicly, right? So that, that's that's how player-focused it was. They were making disciplinary rulings and nobody external to the league could look and go, have you got a rule for that? Is that fair? Is that... Nobody, they wouldn't do it. So I had to go and get the rule book. But anyway, I was also the reporter that exposed the existence of the luxury tax. I got a leaked Blizzard Memo, and basically it was there in, in black and white that they were changing the costs on houses uh, and also changing uh, the you know the luxury tax allowance. So it was there in black and white. That reporting is what led to the government investigation from the antitrust uh, uh, commission. But anyway, the so, Department of Justice, yeah. yeah, Department of Justice. Yeah. So the um, the the there was that, and then the other thing I want to get Harsh's opinion on, not just the luxury tax and kind of all the fuckery with that, but also one of the things that never got talked about is the way that there was a talent agency that essentially was like, <laughs> you see, I know you know you know, uh, pushed by Activision Blizzard for all the players to go to the same agency, and then that agent was essentially representing everybody using intelligence from everybody else. Remember, there was a minimum salary in Overwatch and a luxury cap, but there were volumes, there were levels to the game, um, and, and, and then was also sort of talking to team owners and being like, what can you afford? And I will factor that in when, of course, an agent is meant to be getting the best deal uh, for his client. That's so 
amazing. So it's like if you're like three of the best tank players, it's like, right, hello, I'm, uh, let's call me Bayan Rorison. I represent uh, tank player one. Hmm, and I'm Simon Gorison. I represent tank player two. Well, listen, Simon Chorison, I think <laughs> you should be this player. It's one fucking guy. Yeah, yeah, he gets a good yeah. deal at the end. Like, yeah. this is beyond corruption. So, I know Archer knows about this. So, on, let's, let's get these cards on the table. I mean, to be clear, I was represented by him in season one of Overwatch League 2. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is completely tangential because it's not actually uh, Ryan who did this, but from talking to like teams, there are also other, there's a few other agents that were involved as well. And some of them had, had just straight up told me like, yeah, these agents didn't even push at all. Like we, we were willing to go like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 more for several of these salaries and the agents didn't even try. So um, a lot of the representation was not amazing in Overwatch League uh, to be, you know, candid. Um, I guess on the front of, of uh, the soft salary cap, I guess. Um, I don't know if I'm under any terms that would prevent me from, from saying just something. You heard like, things or you're very careful about yeah, exactly. it. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, just use <laughs> liberal use of allegedly harsher. You'll be fine. Exactly. It's saved me for 20 years. It's fine. I had a very specific budget every year when I was putting together teams is, is what I could ah. say about that. And, and what I would also say about that is you know, the budget for a team could cost about one LCS player in 2022. If, if, uh, if we're, if we're yeah, people yeah. know like who needs one million. By the way, I've had the same experience when I came to join E League. Are you ready? My agent was involved in the company that made me <laughs> league. So he goes to me, This is gonna be brilliant, mate. Forget about them CSGO events. They're fucking that's fucking small fry shit. You have to understand this is TV, baby. I'm gonna have you on TV money. You're gonna be living in America. He went to the meeting and he came back. He goes, Um, I got you, dear rate. But not in any negotiation. They just basically told him how much I was getting paid. Like, up, sounds. And then it went from like, you know, 10x to just x. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, uh, you know, uh, the the reason reason for that, yes, it's the soft luxury tax, whatever. But I mean, the problem was that because of the tangled web of relationships around this league and everybody doing this thing that we do in esports, which is, no, but the rising tide raises all ships. Yeah, I know it's when it's your fucking, your ocean. Not not everyone else's, just yours. Just yours with the boats in and, the, and your friends are sailing the boats. Yeah, then it's a rising tide raises all ships. Fuck the industry, uh, uh, you know, by and large. But anyway, so there was these agents and the, the key agent, you know, they were being told, like, look, if if teams can't afford the salaries and have to walk away, that's not going to help anyone. No one's going to have a job. Your other clients might not have a job. It could take... So everybody was like trying to be like, you know, oh, well, if you just take the this and then that's sustainable for another year and you'll have a job. It's like I say, the, the, the canary in the coal mine is absolutely... If I'm a South Korean, right, and, you know, I, I, and, I'm gonna, and I get the chance to be a professional athlete... And I can defer my national service and make bank. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to defer it. I've got the legal right to do it, and I'm going to make bank. They weren't deferring it, guys. The moment that there was like literally South Koreans were just going, I am very sad. I have to go and do my national. You don't have to. Absolutely don't. That was when you really knew something was up with the league. Not to mention early retirements. You know, people saying, you know, how many early retirements has been in Overwatch? People well, saying, I'm not even going to well, stick really around. Really good for, players, yeah. yeah. Like, one week into Overwatch 2, people are going, 
yeah, all right, then, yeah, I'm yeah. retired. Sorry. Like, so <laughs> I, I'll, I'll bring Overwatch 2 up later in a bit. But again, you have to understand that, like, this, there weren't, there were no separate entities. It is, this is an example of a negative ecosystem because there weren't anybody that really cared about player rights or there weren't anybody that had the capability to push back and stop this league making bad decisions. It was Bobby Kotick and friends, his vision, and we all had to do whatever we had to do to make it work. And if you were a dissenting voice, you were absolutely crushed or they yeah. attempted to be. Keep in mind, you know, I'm blacklisted from all Activision Blizzard stuff. When I was working at Deserto, they had to invent something called the Richard Lewis rule which was every time i did reporting around activision blizzard we had to reach out to a specific press officer and we had to get we had to give them 48 hours to get their shit together that was it right so this was happening every time i did a report in fact somebody from overwatch called me up on my phone i don't know how they got my number this is a true story and they said, oh, you know, like we saw that report in and the tweet that you made. Could you uh, take it down and like we can talk about it? We can meet. You're going to be in California soon, right? And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm not going to take down the tweet, right? But like I can call, I'll, I'll come and meet you. We can have a powwow. Like I'm all about meeting people, talking about things, getting additional context. More knowledge is good. And they said, okay, then, Rod. And they thought it was <laughs> fucking Sasha. <laughs> they thought they were talking to Slasher. So that's the type of shit that they were. And I went, Rod, I'm Richard Lewis. And then the guy went, oh, sorry, I'm doing all the media calls today. I'll get right back to you. Never heard from them ever again. So that's the type of no, game yeah. Activision Blizzard would run. You're in some like fucking film noir. It's like there's a phone that no one even has the number to. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, so they absolutely, yeah, they absolutely tried to crush anybody with, you know, blacklists and stuff like this. Anybody that was like ringing the alarm bell. And so, as I said, what does it tell you that me, I have no interest in Overwatch. I've told you my feelings on Overwatch. Overwatch is held upright only by its pawn and the people that they have attracted to consume that pawn. That is it. I will. The game is trash. I played it for a week, never touched it again. It, you know, like it is, it is not a good game. Uh, but anyway, so I have no interest in it. I, I don't make content around it. I brought the biggest stories in Overwatch. So who, where, where did everyone else go? So, so that's what you have to understand. This is like the word ecosystem has took on a very malignant yes. connotation when you look at things like this. Oh, by the way, there even is, as Richard implies, a conspiracy of silence around Overwatch. I'll just say it right now. Think of some of the people who've won Esports Journalist of the Year, given to them by their peers in the industry. You will never see a story from them about Overwatch has failed, Overwatch is dead, Overwatch was corrupt, Overwatch never was... You will now. They, it, well, yeah, well, now it's popular. It's okay but, to hit Blizzard now. Back then, the whole yeah. thing would have been like, what, what would be the upside for me? Which is, by the way, if you ever say that as a journalist, fuck you. Literally, hang it up, go off and be a PR slash marketing agent. Because another angle I want to bring up, and this is another thing that is not a minor detail. This isn't, I mean, I don't think the Chinese Taipei thing's funny, but we all can get to in the laugh go, ha, 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 silly old China. I mean, Republic of China, right? So how about this one? How about when Blizzard, a company, by the way, pretending to be woke through their game, like Overwatch, yeah. then had massive potential like sexual assault allegations. One of the most disturbing ones was where it was implied that bullying internally, we did a whole episode on this of the Four Horsemen, actually might have led to someone committing suicide, by the way, guys. And that's beyond people implying they were raped or molested or the famous one that sounds funny again, but is it funny, where someone's breast milk was drank out of a fridge in an office, etc. So all the shit that was going on there. And what would they do every time there was a scandal? Huh, guess what? Another Overwatch character in a fictional universe that you don't even play because there's no sex in the game it's not mass effect they're gay or have a different gender they took that 
That was a shitty little marketing pawn for these idiots. Yeah. They actually view you, the people in public who care about those topics, as an idiot that they can just essentially ring a little bell, Pavlovian style, and suddenly you love Blizzard again. That and shows what I hear about that type of virtue signaling is. You're not actually saying, I'm going to stand against it. You're saying, actually, I'm going to hold people who are, I'm representing in contempt. You're just a marketing point to me. You're a chess yeah. piece, a and, pawn and, I will and not and go Crucially, over. what exposes that is true is obviously they're not canonically gay in Russia. They're not canonically gay in Turkey. Yep. They're not canonically gay in South Korea. They're not canonically gay in China. They're canonically gay in Europe and America. And for the most recent Pride event Overwatch did, uh, it, it, it they basically deactivated it in those territories and then claimed, released a statement, which is staggering to me. They said, we did that to protect people who might accidentally out themselves. You fucking moral cowards. So, I mean, look, uh, to, to, to bring it back to talking about the league and, and not just Activision Blizzard as a company, that's also the great failing of Overwatch. I, I described it in my recent article as it's basically a power of friendship anime for people who find anime problematic. And... You, you, you know, and, and use the word problematic. And, and so, you know, it's like, I don't even understand conceptually what you were trying to do. You want to be, you know, the commissioner wants it to be edgy. The people making the game and making the content decisions don't. You want it to be a, a, a mainstream sport run by mainstream sports people. You pick the worst choice for an eSport possible in the form of a class-based shooter. The complexity of a MOBA with the reduced visual information of an FPS. Insane. Really? Uh, yeah, right. And, and 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 on top of that, you want to do all of this content about, you know, the you you know, current political US issues because you want the cultural capital of that. And then you don't even have the moral upstanding to fully commit to it. Like the irony of them removing a police, uh, probably not irony, but fuck off, correct me. Uh, you know, the irony of them removing a police vehicle on a map as part of the Pride event because hashtag no cops at Pride, right? But Overwatch themselves are a super powered global police force. I can't do it, guys. This is exhausting <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> It's exhausting. <laughs> it's, it, 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 and trust me, there might be somebody out there who, like, you know, on a on a you know a redditor or a Tumblrite, you know, who goes, "Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. You fooled me." Ninety nine percent of people roll their eyes, and 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 not just roll their eyes. How cynical and tiresome it all is. But also, like, they, they know they can't publicly say this because you know, the lunatic fringe will attack them. But trust me, Overwatch, like, it failed on all fronts, guys. It's failed as an eSport. It's failed as an intellectual property. It's even failed in the sort of, like, as a champion of people's rights and marginalized groups because Activision Blizzard is a corporation that doesn't care about those things as evidenced by their behavior. I can't tell you how much of a disappointing failure it is. Let's talk about the sequel to the disappointing failure. Oh, no, 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 no. We, before we talk about the sequel, we have to talk about about the problems with Overwatch One, yeah, you brought which it I think harsh. The meta, so, the developers, you know, like, yeah, you, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I nearly forgot about Goat. Score for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> by the way, Loki, I'm old school, isn't it? Every time you say goats, I my mind goes sing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly. Yeah. There were so many. 
I, there were so many, you know, I think we even made, we, we were like, we're getting goatsy on, on broadcast. Like, I think yeah. we even said, my this God, shit, man. My God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was obviously like a long, a long running joke, especially mm. for people who know like the, the deepest annals of OG internet history. Jeez. But Damn I think right. it's, he, he, he didn't even mean to say it that way, Richard. That just came off the tongue at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the the start of Overwatch, I think, was very promising, and I, I harshly can talk to this, but when I was doing Apex in Korea, I think what was fun about Overwatch was that there was, it, it was like a the dive meta, and there was a lot of backline fighting and, you know, really cool hype plays that were being made. And over time, what happened was, first off, they started in introducing more like healing over time and crowd control, which then made fights last forever. And then what happened by the time we got into 2019 was that the meta had basically stalled in a, what was called goats, which for those of you guys who don't know, was basically a triple tank, triple support uh, composition that was mostly, it was, if you were an analyst, it was actually super cool because it was about really precise team execution and like chaining of crowd control together in order to pull off massive combos. So, but the problem was, is that this was the only meta that was being played. And at that point in time, the dev team had basically stopped production on the rest of the game. So there wasn't a lot of balance update uh, that was happening and there weren't new characters to try and like break this cycle. So we effectively just got trapped for months and months and months and months in this very one note meta that I enjoyed, but if you were a casual fan, was pretty boring. But um, it is yeah. The main thing everyone wants to see in FPS games is really exciting, high skill fights of essentially what in all the other games, they'd be called DPS players, right? So what you yeah. did was you took all the genius DPS players like Carpe and Profit and you put them onto an off tank called Zarya that was essentially nothing like that in any cod. So what you did is you essentially took the most boring part of the game, made that the central part, and it meant that a casual fan, there was nothing to get into. And that's where Richard nailed it as well. The reason why Smite would never have been as big as League and Dota is because it's POV. The problem is that might be fun to play, but as a fan, the best thing, I always, I already think the signal noise in all the mobile fights anyway, but at least you can see it all on screen. You can see the tanks coming in and peeling. You can see the sports healing there. You can see the, the, the fucking like burst mage puts in the big bomb here. You can see the, the ADCs or the carries just doing all the DPS. Imagine if you were seeing it from the POV. So even if you were on the DPS, back in the day, you can't see what the tank's doing and you don't know what the healing's doing. Yeah, the actual like information burden was fucking insane. Like I tried watching yeah. a lot and I used to have a hard time knowing beyond he's just well, getting a kill. What's happening? Yeah, what I what I said is it went from being an FPS where Tracer and Genji were really exciting champions to watch to being the world's hardest to watch MOBA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean few points to address there because um I agree with a lot of what you said. Um in 2018, after uh, after I'd already joined Vancouver Titans, I had dinner with um, an Overwatch League person. It's not it's not someone public publicly facing, but uh, they worked with Blizzard and Overwatch League at the time, and they were managing relationships with with some of the new franchises. So I'd met with them for dinner, and they had already told me 90% of the dev team was not working on Overwatch One anymore. They were working on Overwatch Two entirely. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them were working on PVE. This was in 2018 already. So when he told me that, he said, like, don't expect too much content over the next few years until we, like, launch. Um, 
and obviously we got stuck in goats for uh three stages of the four stages of overwatch league um it got so tiring that which your team was uh, amazing at by the way yes so us and, and also, two and also as boring... invented the goats matter <laughs> yeah it's all his fault as much as by the way it, uh, many of the matches were boring because teams were bad at goats Honestly, some of those stage finals of goats between the Shock and the Titans were fucking great matches, yeah. like really good games. Still, some of the best matches of all time, in my opinion. Um, but even with that said, um, the Overwatch League held a survey asking all the teams whether they want to basically implement two, 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 and this was before it was in the game, uh, a roll lock, basically. So uh, you, you know, you can only have two tanks, two supports, two DPS. And ev from what I can tell, um, it was around like, I think at least 17 of the team said yes. And it might have been unanimous. I'm not entirely certain. I talked to Shock and I know. Including the ones that were good at it, right? Which is the yes. insane canary in the core, man. If we, the ones we that were unanimously like, said, us, please. Exactly. We unanimously said between Shock and New York and Titans that we don't want goats anymore. So that was the, the, the three teams that were the best in the world at that meta didn't want to play, you know, the game in that state. Um, Obviously, the, the outlaws said they still really wanted to play it, even though they were complete <laughs> trash at it. That's yeah. if you guys remember, you know, you know what that joke is. That actually got revived recently. Uh, somebody <laughs> found the 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 clip of Flame ranting for like an hour and a half about how they should have played goats. Um, but also, something you mentioned uh, was Apex and Dive. Two points on that. Um, the meta this entire year has been Dive, and fans are actually sick of Dive now, which I never <laughs> thought would, I would see in my life. Uh, like that's the most exciting kind of gameplay you want to watch in Overwatch, and fans are pretty bored of it already. Um, the other thing is Apex is strangely relevant now because I don't know if you've been following the articles, Monty, but um, Sean Miller, who's the new—I don't know if he's a commissioner, but he's you know the head of Overwatch, um, Overwatch esports now. Uh, he mentioned something about how he wants Overwatch to go back to the Apex days, and they're trying to emulate it with their their format. And I, I, I read that and I couldn't believe like what I was seeing. So essentially they've, they went from double a limb in our, in the Overwatch League finals to like GSL groups into a single a limb bracket. And they're trying to tell you it's better because Apex did it when Apex was not good because of, you know, single a limb bracket. It was good because it had the best players, you know, the best production. It was a live event with like a crowd. And it, it just tells me that like some people that make decisions don't, probably didn't watch Overwatch at the time and probably like don't know what made Overwatch good. Mm. By the way, there's another thing that also unfortunately could never have held. Overwatch was at one point, uh, uh, it had a, a flash in the pan cultural phenomenon as an esport. Like in Korea, famously, it briefly overtook League of Legends in the PC did, box. Yep, yep. That's a big deal, by the way. If you don't know, by the way, League of Legends to this day will always be top two, top three. It will have a way high. And if you know how the top 10 rankings there, fuck number 10, 8, 7, 7. Those yeah. are like 0.5%, 1%. Like the top ones, is, it's a very homogenous group. It'll be like 30% of people play this one game. So so all for now. Yeah, that's why Apex Apex was the shit. By the way, people do really play games like FIFA and Need for Speed and stuff. You go there, right? When the reason Apex was the shit is because it basically was the Korean OGN format for League of Legends, but just with it with the teams. And because at the time, this is crucial. 
In the end, I made a video that's so fucking prescient now. After season one, I calculated, I can't remember, let's say 25% of the league was Korean. I was like, but all the best players are there. It's just logical that every team's going to break and bring in star players. They're eventually going to bring in more players. Eventually, they'll just be Korean. And the joke is, I said, and it could get really out of control, it could be like 50%. I think at one point in time, the league was 75% Korean. Now, here's the problem. It's 75% Korean in the era when Koreans don't play Overwatch anymore. So you're not getting this insane talent pipeline, which would have been, what would have made it, like, if you like the game, an incredible esport, one of the best of all time. So actually, that aspect died away, and it's no wonder, as you're talking about, why if a Korean got sick of Overwatch League, he just said, you know what, that's esports for me, off to the military I go. Because essentially, that was it. They gambled on something, it didn't work out. Esports is the area where we always sell it short by calling it esports. You can't just switch, you can't just go, I'm going to stop playing it this now and go. A few people make the jump to Valorant. One or two might be able to go to League of Legends. It's going to be such a tiny funnel, it's irrelevant. So, the other thing as well as the Korean markets dried up as well. Like that was another part that went away. And remember, you fucked up China with the NetEase thing. If you don't know, Chinese viewership carries League of Legends for Worlds, etc. Korea is where you have all the talented players that to this day feed the other regions in League. Here's a stat for you. You know when people go, China has won Worlds a bunch of times. No player except for... I mean, here's the real irony of ironies, but I can see it. No player except for Toys from Taiwan, not China, has ever won as a mid laner at Worlds. It's all Korean mid laners carrying Chinese teams. So the real joke is like, you fucked up Asia as well. And if we are, if we now know one thing, it's like, yes, in the West, it's a nice PR exercise. It's a nice thing to get VC in. They actually have the fans there and they have the players there. If you fuck those regions up, your game is dead. And unfortunately, this is another game where it had its period where it was interesting, but Korean fans left that game quickly unfortunately they just stopped playing it didn't become something that the people watched or play and by the way that's why i think it was so dumb to make a massive globalized league and put it in la bro you had the golden goose with apex that yeah. was even what ogn because they were getting fucked with by riot you can speak to this monty they were trying to pivot into this you guys were doing apex this was potentially yep. like the way out of the riot control and if you give us this we can sort of do our own thing here like i feel like you could have actually if you really wanted the game of a long runway you keep those regions alive you keep those like native you keep them building up well the tr the tragedy of what happened to ogn is like you're saying you know riot was being a real piece of shit to ogn at the time and OGN still had the control. Obviously, you know, it's the, the developers at the time couldn't buy a Korean television station. And a lot of people during that time period, although it was changing, still watched on TV right now. Now, nobody watches on TV, right? It's all streaming. Um, but at the time, there was a good chunk of people who had watched whatever OGN put on. And OGN was pushing Overwatch extremely hard and trying to work with Blizzard. And Harsha, your point about going back to Apex as, as a touch point, the hilarious thing about League of Legends is now LEC has changed yeah. their format into a three tournament a year system, which is exactly what OGN did when I was casting it in Korea. And so you actually see the, the, the developers rolling back to what OGN created because it was always better. Um, now we, not the format bit, like I know what you're saying, like the format <laughs> wasn't better than what Overwatch League had, but you can see the, the narrative has changed from OGN, you're just a silly Korean company and you, you know, you're, we're going to do things like traditional sports and it's going to be way better to now. Everybody's like, wow, OGN sure was great. Too bad you fucking killed it. You guys fucking killed OGN, Riot and Activision Blizzard. You could have worked with them on good ideas, which likely would have made your games even more popular than they were in the Korean market and possibly in the Western market as well. But you didn't. I think and now general, we have to... 
Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I also think as well, like general mishandling of like South Korea players that were exported. I don't think there's a lot of people going back to South Korea with happy stories about how they went away. You know, Vancouver Titans is a fucking example. <laughs> I mean, it, there's no better example. And it's like, you know, once like South, South Korea culturally, and Duncan knows more about this than me, obviously, haven't haven't lived there. But, you know, South Korea culturally in esports, it's always been misrepresented as being like, you know, um, first of all, it's the mecca of esports. You go there. I, w- I won't make the obvious joke there, but <laughs> whatever. With the way esports has gone, Doug, I saw your eyes. Don't <laughs> fuck you. It makes right? joke no. makes itself. Don't say it, Richard. Yeah, don't yes, say yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, you know, people said it was like the mecca of esports, and it was super advanced. And of course, in reality, first time you saw a South Korean team house, it was people on roll mats on the floor with little, you know, made up curtains between them, five people in a room. You know, n- no dietary, no. They were just grinding. That was it. it was it was awful to see. And then obviously, you know, everyone. Oh, Oh, they're like megastars out there. They're like David Beckham, the StarCraft players. Complete fabrication as well. Like they were, they were well-known, they were yep. notorious in those circles. And anyway, you know, but when it comes to esports, South Korea's always been like very isolationist in, in sort of how they approach the space. And so when we talk about things like a global league, everything's got to be right. Like you've got you to gotta come correct when you're working with South Koreans. They had they had an official association in the form of UKESA. And yeah, you know, we all know how they operated, but they've had infrastructure and well, just structure, right? They've had structure to their ship for so long. And so when they when they come with certain expectations and we're like going okay you're just in some shitty hotel room now whoopsie we forgot to hire a translator they get mega homesick they don't have a good time and then they go back and they go no that we don't want to do this anymore if we can't have like an OGN tournament fuck it i don't want to do it i don't want to do it if i have to go and play abroad and make the bank and we've seen this time and time again it's happened in league as well with south korea so i think i think the general mishandling of of what should be the jewel in the crown of having south korean teams and south korean buy-in was completely fumbled again by activision blizzard and these team owners and uh, to go back to harsha and talking about the development of overwatch 2 because i think that's the next direction we have to go is like Basically, this all stems from the fact that Overwatch was released as a box title that you purchased, which is an, a very outmoded, it was an old way of releasing titles. Because remember, this had been, I mean, League of Legends went free to play at, on launch in 2009. We're talking about a game that released in what? Overwatch released 2015 and, uh, or tw- early 2016, 16, I think. 2016 uh but they had announced it i believe at blizzcon in 2015 yeah. uh and they were still and part of this was because they were a console game um but they weren't really innovative in terms of their business practices and it was only 40 dollars, so it was a cheaper game because it was pvp only but they never really like the reason why the the development went the way it did was because while Fortnite was pioneering the battle pass system and it was a persistently updated um you know battle pass monetized game Overwatch was just laser focused on, well, here's your game, just like we always have done at Blizzard, and you're going to wait years for an update to this game, right? And they hadn't figured out the business model that they have now where they did make, you know, Overwatch 2 PvP free to play. Um, And they have done a battle pass system now, but the result of this was years of ongoing struggles of getting the game updated and honestly like a seeming lack of interest in the from the developer side of fixing the problems that we were having in the overwatch league in 2019 or doing it quickly right harsha and yeah I, yeah i think i think one thing you could argue if we if we're gonna if we're gonna pretend um let's just take pve out of the equation 
I think you could argue Overwatch has only gotten better as a game um, fairly, like, convincingly, to be honest, where they've made, like, the right decisions. They've transitioned to the Battle Pass um, system, whatever. Uh, it's free to play now. But I think they're, they just pissed away so many years that, like, this game has no... Uh, I don't know what you'd call the word for this. Like, people just don't trust Blizzard anymore. I feel like the reputation is just completely, like, ruined for Overwatch. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't help when... So, first of all, like I say, I've never seen... It's appropriate, given the Tumblr and pornography connection. I've never seen a more cuckolded consumer base in fucking all of gaming. <laughs> like, no, for real. Like, this is legit. Like, the average Overwatch player literally is peeking out through the closet. Can I have a go yet? Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you know, right. So, like Jesus. It, it, it's true, though. So, like, let's, let's just think about it. First of all, like, as Harsh rightly points out... They they immediately somewhere for some reason a business decision is made like we need a sequel. Sequel, by the way, is just a cynical cash grab. This is a game as a live service. It's an online game. You don't need a sequel. You know we do you you, you it, it's so crazy. You know we're not at that. The, the game is never at that stage. It's not like CS:GO where transitioning into a new fucking engine is sort of kind of essential because you've got a decade of spaghetti code in a game that was no. The Overwatch engine is also is honestly amazing. It's yeah, really right. good. You, so you never needed you never. Needed needed to do that right and so anyway they, they started scheming on a sequel and I, I, again i was told behind the scenes this was because bobby kotick wanted overwatch to become a mobile game phenomenon and this was, yes. what, this was the driving force in these like he, he also wanted to mirror the success of call of duty because they just print a billion dollars every year as they yeah. ship a new game right Absol absolutely so anyway you so you have a game that you've got and you're getting a sequel you don't want because they're working on that sequel you the casual player gets no content meanwhile the esports yeah. leagues are like look this game would be rad if you could add like you know because you at the time they only had what was it like 20 something you know champions heroes whatever the characters whatever the fucking call them in this game and you know what if you want to have a moba which look overwatch is a moba more than it's an fps yeah. in my opinion if you yeah. want a moba to sort of be fresh you've got to have a lot of variety you have to have variety you have to allow people to come up with new strategies use new heroes use new abilities that's also by the way how you drive the revenue now they're not having any of that so for what so the the esports guys are saying please please like make some content change this up this goats matter is shit anyway fast forward to hey guys we're releasing a sequel here we are at blizzcon look at all this stuff that we've already made pve battle passes no, no by the way the only reason they're pivoting to battle passes is because loot crates gonna get banned that's that's this industry in a nutshell but shelve that right so anyway they're, they're showing you all this pve stuff and it's gonna be like you know battlefield and there's a single player mode and you shoot robots and you do missions and there's gonna be instances and sort of kind of like raids you can all come together online it's gonna be all this content as well as just the online game which by the way you get you if you've got an overwatch one account we're gonna have cross play if you keep your overwatch one account and play against play, play against player two people that didn't uh, overwatch two people that didn't happen did it so anyway they show all of that and we know it's there then they sadly announce sorry overwatch two people the reason you bought the game is we're just not releasing it we're not releasing that pve content but we're really sad about that right so don't worry about it a week later they are selling pve dlc for 15 dollars a pop when are you gonna wake the fuck up <laughs> so, guys like I when mean, are you going to boycott this shit What's so what's so psycho about Overwatch's development is you have to remember that it came from an, an MMO called Titan that was scrapped, right? So they salvaged 
the PvP elements from the MMO game that they couldn't actually figure out how to make be fun. And then they take what was what's so confusing is they abandon the initial game, which is a highly successful PV, PvP game, by the way. I mean, huge player base, honestly, at launch. I mean, it was one of the, the biggest launches of its era, right? Enormous. And they did tons of merch sales, just like crazy amounts of character goods and, you know, T-shirts. And people love the IP. And whether for porn reasons or other reasons, <laughs> maybe too much, maybe too much. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it was, it was very successful. And so as we, you know, as we move forward, what was so crazy to me was first off, they're trying to implement, like create this PVE experience, which I've heard obviously went badly. And they had multiple changeovers in leadership, not only of Team 4, which is the Overwatch team, but also in Activision Blizzard as a result of the scandals that happened. You saw people kind of churning at the top of the company. And it's very difficult, I think, when everybody is so focused on those scandals in order to make a good product. But also, isn't it kind of crazy that you have this team that is a PvP game team attempting to make PvE content? But they didn't, as far as I can tell, they didn't hire... Like you would have thought they would have hired an entirely separate PVE team to create that content and kept the PVP team on the PVP stuff. So then the PVP team fails at making PVE content and they underdeliver on all of their promises. So at the end of the day, Overwatch League was massively damaged by the fact that they miss they 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 miss they misused the resources that they had which could have done great things for the esports and competitive side by putting them on a project that was a mirage. Yep. And I, I, what's, what's baffling to me is that they made this mistake twice. They already failed to make the MMO. Just do <laughs> the fucking thing that's working. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it's, so, it's so crazy. And as I said, the, the sequel release, again, I've been told behind the scenes, the reason the sequel was rushed. So this is, again, another reason why the Overwatch League is just like a, a tumor that had to be excised, right? Because, you know, look, I'm super interested in in consumer rights and pe just people's rights in general, and obviously these huge corporations like not giving consumers like you know what what they should be doing and engaging in all shady practices. I've talked about it for a long, long time. You know, I was blessed to be friends with you know the great Total Biscuit, who talked about these issues and not just talked about these issues, brought these issues in the game industry into very sharp focus in a way that the games media then went after him and utterly destroyed him because of all the collusion and fuckery that goes on. So it's, it's it's super important that you understand that behind the scenes, the team owners were already gearing up to do whatever collective action they've done that we still don't know about. Because maybe we'll never get the truth of it. But what they what they what happened was they said, "Well, can you rush if Overwatch Two is coming?" Then we'll give it a we'll give it a try. I talked to team owners who naively believed Overwatch Two was going to fix everything with the league, and I said, I, I don't know, dude. I've taken ayahuasca, and you're fucking <laughs> you're further out. I mean, I did like a lot of the changes they made. Like Harsha, what do you think about like the shift to five players and and the success of the the shift in the meta? Because like it does make it easier to watch, and I do like many of the changes that they made for Overwatch Two. I personally think the game is is only improved basically, like. There, there were so many metas in, in if, for from just like the competitive perspective, there are so many metas in Overwatch 1 where you actually just couldn't see what was going on the screen and you like needed to reduce a player to, to at least have less visual clutter. 
now it actually plays like um, more of an FPS than um, aside from like very odd metas. It generally plays like more of an FPS than. Uh, okay, let me let me rephrase that. It is more FPS like, um, even though it's still probably closer to a MOBA than it was before, right? So I think that they've improved the game. The pace is faster. I just don't. It was too little um, when like. You know, they've already just pissed away a lot of the, the value that they had. I also my, my, my point they is, did my that point because is they, they rushed it. Been, I yeah. also don't believe they did that to make them a better like you like. I think they did that so teams had to hire one less player to play. By the way, there's another thing we can't miss out. How about the time? It's bad enough you start the league with a soft salary cap. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe it's taxes <laughs> and, two, you know, threes and two, six. Like, all that shite that they're doing. Well, then, how about when when things got really cynical and they were moving, like, obviously, some team was trapped in Asia and someone trapped up here. How about when loads of teams just started firing all the players? Big star players that you would never do if it was a real game game that had real fans and real people buying things just firing like iconic players and bringing in sometimes actual like straight up just chinese or korean players that, and not good ones by the way not the best ones they would sometimes even fire a big name korean guy who's probably on a big contract and bring in a no-name korean and he replaces him by the way what sports league in the world could run like that that would be insane if tomorrow, like, you just fired all the quarterbacks in the NFL and a guy who's not even a college star, he's just playing now. Hello, I'm here. Is everyone a big fan of it? No. Like, dude, that's it. What's sad about that to me is that is just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. That's just meant, like, that's so obvious. You know this is going down and you are cynically doing this. And crucially, no one cried it. about those jobs, did they? We were oh, no. crying about these jobs that have just gone, but, like, nobody said nothing when players yep. were getting fucked. Nah, bollocks. No tears from me. So the reason why I know you mentioned this figure before, Richard, um, the three hundred thousand that was quoted on, presumably it was Plat Chat or something like that. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain where it was from. How much do I watch Plat Chat and Tactical Crouch? You think? Okay. So the reason I find that believable is because Overwatch League salaries are prorated. So essentially, the minimum salary is fifty-two thousand dollars per player. Um, you're required to have six players, but you know there are ways you can have five players in this league. Mm. Um, and because it's prorated and the league is, you know, six months long, if you're if you're not actually going to be playing at, um, you know, playoffs, you're probably paying around twenty six thousand per player. Um, you're getting a coach who is also a player, so you're you're paying twenty six thousand times six. Um, you get a manager who also does the social media for free. You don't pay for their housing because they just play at home in their, you know, in their parents' house or whatever. Um, it is actually possible, probably, to run a team for a profit because. You can just be as, as cynical as you want and then get the YouTube payout for, for whatever the rev share is. And I've heard, I've heard around a million is, is um, the yeah, rev maybe, share. Maybe I, maybe I misunderstood because the way it was being framed was it was like the total running of a team is $300,000. That, that's what I took. Maybe I m misunderstood. But, you know, for me, when you start factoring in all the other additional costs, even if you're not paying for housing, there's all these other things that are going on, 300000 still seems light. And I've looked at some of the numbers of the teams that aren't in China and South Korea and have been, you know, privy to some of their financials and, and the money they are losing annually on just having an Overwatch team is insane. Yeah. So... So maybe I am wrong, though. I'll be happy to take the L on that if that's accurate now in the sort of more modern era, uh, the ringer era of Overwatch, essentially. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> the ringer era. By the yeah. way, are you, is everyone up for me asking a few, like, more light-hearted comedic aspects of, like, <laughs> sure. stories that have never yeah, revealed? Yeah, are, 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 are there any other the major, more dark I don't think so. Anything, yeah, anything big we have to finish? 
I'm, I'm, I can't really think of anything on, on that front. We'll obviously come back yeah. and do like a wrap up. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be good to get some funny anecdotes yeah. from Harsha. Now we can tell him. Now he is yeah. untethered. And by the way, shout out Jerky's I Mini. Mean, he did gift 20 sobs, but because we are what boomers slash the four horsemen, we just ignored it completely. Are you sports are just shit, isn't it? Everyone's a fucking idiot. So he did that about like an hour and a half, of course. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Was it? He might not even be here, but okay. Right. Here's what I'll do, Harsha. I'll set you up and you just tell me. So there's a story about Hawk, beloved StarCraft 2 player. One of the people who actually helped evil geniuses become legendary before certain people pissed it away. There's a story and it just goes like this. Hawk had his ear on a door, but what was he listening to? So let's talk about, um, what, what was this called? Um, what was the scandal where Bill Belichick went to, or had like Bye people? In, what was it again? Spygate. Spygate. Oh, Spygate. Yeah, Spygate. Spygate. Yes. So, <laughs> by the way, Huck plays for the fucking org owned by Robert Kraft of the Beijing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a type, don't well, the joke there is you do. You know, the old fashioned. <laughs> 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 like, you have a type, Robert Kraft. That's all I'm saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, there, there was definitely some some massive, like, I guess, irony in, in how, in what happened, but essentially, allegedly, um, yes. I've heard from from some people that I would you know I would trust that Huck. Actually, let, let me start from the beginning. I would I would go to the restroom. You're not being deposed right now, okay? Just see. <laughs> <Yeah. you know. laughs> um, when in the old season one um, practice rooms, basically it was just twelve practice rooms all next to each other. Um, we were I was on shock, and we were at the end, right next to the Boston Uprising, who was next to London Spitfire, or whatever. Um, I had this like this like weird interaction where every few days I would, I would just leave the practice room, go to the restroom. And I would notice Huck on his phone, like right outside of our door. And I always thought, you know, that's kind of weird. Uh, and it's kind of funny that this is like a, somebody that works for the new England Patriots. Um, basically flash forward. And I, I told us, uh, my, my source, Hey, like I always had this like weird interaction with Huck and, and, uh, what do you think about it? And they just straight up told me, Oh yeah, we we had like your practices and your comms like all all filmed basically um, on a YouTube channel. <laughs> so, so essentially, Spygate repeated know. itself. Wow. Were, but but this was possible it's because it's too on brand. I mean, <laughs> it was it, at the at the Overwatch League studio in the first couple of years. The team's practice rooms were all in just like one hallway. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, some it wasn't a requirement to practice there. Like the Philadelphia Fusion, I think, always practiced at their team house. But many teams took avail, you know, availed themselves of the free space that was there to house their practice facilities. And so there was there was like a lot of shenanigans that went on in this one hallway during that time period. It was actually really fun in many ways. But I'm along similar lines, right? One thing that might shock people because this is just the way that all esports always presented. Crazy idea. But believe it or not, sometimes if you talk to Chinese people, they are just sort of like China number one, fuck everyone else. And believe it or not, I lived in Korea. Sometimes they're like, no, Korea is the best. Fuck everyone, not Korean. So even though I famously, actually, there was that story where some like Dallas Fuel player or something said people were racist to him in LA or something. I can't believe some story along those lines. But basically, I heard something along similar lines that essentially, I mean, I, I won't say it was racially based because it was actually nationality based, but apparently Koreans, who, as I say, made up quite a sizable amount of the Overwatch League anyway, sort of just had their own private hangout where presumably they talked shit on people who aren't Korean. And it was even implied 
directly like broke competitive integrity and just shared info. Like if you were all Koreans, maybe you just tell, get, tell, tell me what you know about this or, or allegedly may have heard. So I actually don't have two good sources, uh, too many good sources on this. Okay. I've actually just heard about this uh, in passing as well. I will say that um, there's a, I, I've heard that there's a lot of VOD sharing that goes on in, in the Overwatch League. By the way, for people who don't know, there wasn't replays in this game. So having a VOD is insane of someone's practice. You can actually get stuff from that. Yeah. They actually ended up putting in replays, and I have actually heard that there is replay <laughs> replay sharing in this game too. I'm sure. I won't say it was limited to um, you know just nationalities or anything like right. that. Um, no, it, just a it's lot of common practice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically become um, you just kind of have to go into matches assuming that people know what you're going to be doing, uh, and that's kind of sad. Especially okay, yeah, especially when the Chinese of, cultural environment, fair play. He's <laughs> being watched all times. I guess, um, especially there's like a. This is kind of one of the problems with Overwatch, where you're just going to have a player who's on the bench uh, for long periods of time because the meta doesn't fit them, and they just get very disenfranchised. They don't feel like they're you know being treated oh. fairly in their team. Those are always the players that will be participating in this kind of like uh, vod sharing. They're always the first to to turn on their team and and kind of. Giveaway, and it's it's just sad because it's kind of just a factor of how the game works, basically. One of my favorite basically things, the hunchback guy in three hundred who just betrays everyone. Obsession with fucking Partially, one of my one of one of my favorite things, which you can talk to about being a coach in the league, that was never really revealed in the early days of Overwatch, was because players' contracts were supposed to be fully guaranteed, right? Um, that was one of the features as a player protection. But the yes. real result of this was that players would bench themselves uh, on teams and basically refuse to play while collecting a paycheck. And then it, it, there were so many times that I, as a caster in the first couple of seasons, would have to be like, well, I don't know why this player's not playing this week. Sure is weird when I knew that they had basically just quit on their teams and there was no there was nothing that the teams could do in you remember, order to Monty, there's one team. case where one of them benched himself and just went back to korea during the season like this guy <laughs> didn't give a fuck you didn't guess by the way i, I made that one pretty obvious but that's how wild these guys were uh, there's actually been several instances of that so i might not be able to guess who that was <laughs> uh, yes uh that improved with time because uh, as of season Three, they implemented a rule where actually this was spurred by Valorant. Um, a ton of players were just practicing Valorant and not showing up to practice, or or they would instead of like sleeping at night. A totally different esports game. Exactly. That's mental. I don't. Yeah, and I think I I think, I'm sure this all is. Come on. <laughs> I think enough people um, or enough owners found out about this and like were like, okay, they're not even practicing the game that we pay them to, to play. So. Um, Overwatch League eventually just changed the rules, so now contracts are not guaranteed at all. And they've actually gone the other way, where there's there's like no protections for players at all anymore, yeah. um, other than 30 day severance, which some teams actually uh, try and you know screw the players out of too, which is you know just nickel and diming people that are on like twenty thousand dollars a year, right? So, um, in I know you are probably aware of a lot of stories in in season one where people just bench themselves. I think probably it comes down to not only the rules allowing that to happen, but also probably like failures in terms of man management and like, uh, and like putting, you have to put that on the coaching staff as well, because mm. there's no way you should like allow an environment where something like that occurs, but also there's no recourse for a player that does that, especially when 
I noticed that happening a lot with the best players on on a lot of teams. So um, you just have no power in those kinds of scenarios. Oh, by the way, I just forgot. Another thing that must be memorialized for people who only just find out about Overwatch now is this is what a clown show Overwatch was. So famously, CSGO was launched with the greatest winning streak in the history of esports. 87 and (laughs) 0. Now, Shanghai Dragons in Overwatch League lost 42 straight games. What's hilarious is a few seasons later, they were the champions, by the way, with a different lineup of players. They lost 42. And it was so fucking bad, by the way, that the casters and people like that used to have to be like, I think this could be the week they get a win. And then it would last like weeks more. And like that was one of those like beatings will continue until morale. It was amazing. I really enjoyed that. that, So insane. So insane though. And speaking speaking of 42 and all 420. (laughs) There you go. Believe we've got an ad money. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And if you want to take a break, uh, like some of the Overwatch players who couldn't be asked to actually play the game which they were paid for. And because they were in Los Angeles where certain substances were legalized, perhaps they should have gotten a freeze pipe, which you can get at www.thefreezepipe.com. And if you use code LFN for last free nation, you can get a 10% discount on your entire order. Got pipes, thongs, dab rigs, everything like that. It's great. Anything you want, 10% off. And uh, we appreciate them very much for sponsoring this. And I know a few Overwatch League players that definitely would have taken us up on this deal uh, had it (laughs) existed in the time of oversight and the time in which I was casting the Overwatch League. I always so just you. said the freezepipe.com, but I like your boomer. Like, it's HTTP, forward slash Like, I love that. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah, it. It's, it's brilliant. Um, so, look, just because uh, I know we, we sort of have to wrap up the show, and, and thanks for being so gracious with your, sure. your time, Harsha. Here's one thing I want to do, because, uh, you know, obviously when this eventually goes to 0% on the competitive Overwatch subreddit, 0% upvoted with 500 <laughs> comments on Colony and Arsenal, yeah. right? When, when that eventually happens, hi hobo tripping, you fucking psycho. Uh, anyway, like, let's do a positive thing at the end, right? Because, right. like, one of the things that the people who still have to exist in the Overwatch ecosystem, it's Copium, sure, right? By the way, you know, Aston Mega Teller was still there. I think people like yeah, Soy, yeah, Uber, these guys are fucking the best. I'm, I made yeah. the point yeah. in my article saying, while I'm not boohooing for people who work for Activision Blizzard, my belief is that people like Uber, so we all this goated talent that's worked on this Amazing. product. They just they're just gonna go with the functional esports and get yes. the bag there, and 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 God love them for it. So I'm nothing about you is being lost. Yeah. They're, they're they're great. But so the the big corp in Overwatch is this: we've got Activision Blizzard uh, being acquired by microsoft that's looking increasingly likely we i know we've got the ftc appeal and all that shit going in but look it, it will happen money talks and uh you know that means conceptually a different outlook potentially for esports because microsoft think of esports in terms of spectacle they like like with the halo events they're like a one-off big high prize money best teams they outsource it to like you know people who know how to produce uh events and so what i'm hearing behind the scenes is what they're going to do with Overwatch, the reason they made those 50 layoffs is 
Overwatch are go the Overwatch team is going to now go back to the original partners that they told weren't good enough to run their tournaments <laughs> and are going to essentially say, will you, will you keep us on live support and run some tournaments for us? Let's figure out how we can make it work. And that's going to be the way it goes until Microsoft comes in and they basically either decide not to have any Overwatch esports or to maybe have one or two, three events a year in the old traditional way so what i'm saying is is there a, is there a hope of for overwatch esports in general if they transition into a more open format system the kind yeah. of which we used to see in csgo yeah what do you think i think, I think it's kind of complicated so i know you mentioned this as a possibility richard that you know perhaps esl comes in and and they're already taking up so much of the the esports ecosystem and they just try and run like uh their own tournaments for overwatch which is actually a really weird thing to think about because I also know that you covered um, there's been drama recently with like Saudi Arabia and the World Cup for Overwatch. And I don't, that would just be heightened with, with, uh, you know, ESL participating potentially. Um, I, I don't, I, I mean, put it this way. Uh, well, I agree. I think, you know, some people would find it objectionable in the Overwatch community, maybe more than other communities. Having seen how the Dota community and the CSGO community have sort of reacted to it, my, my thought process is the drama would be minimal. And ultimately, the all conquering force of Riyadh Esports, it's already triumphed. If it hasn't already assimilated you, it's because they don't believe you're worth assimilating yeah. and, and, and you will wither and die in a year or two. As the original joke said, obviously, South Korea is not the mecca of esports. Leave it there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I, I do I, look, think, I think, yeah, I I think, think you'll see ESL involved at some point. I, I think that there isn't a reason why Overwatch esports can't continue and go back <laughs> to a more grassroots model. It's not that the viewership is terrible. I do think that there are ways to monetize it. One of the unfortunate features of what happened with Overwatch and also one of the reasons why I argue against publisher uh, tournament organizer separation is that when the Blizzard scandal occurred, it spilled over onto Overwatch League and that they lost all their sponsors because a bunch of dinguses at Activision Blizzard decided to be like, you know, very sexually weird. Mm. Um and that that really had nothing to do with the Overwatch League itself, but the the collateral damage was enormous in or, in terms of the revenue to the league. And I think that by putting distance between Activision Blizzard and and Overwatch as a competitive esport, it might actually you might actually be able yeah. to sell sponsors in the space again. Um, and it's not like there isn't a good core of viewership. You know, they do have fifty, sixty thousand concurrent viewers on the YouTube channel on average. What happens when the next when the YouTube deal ends and maybe they return to Twitch? Certainly at the launch of Overwatch 2, there were big numbers on Twitch again, and they have diminished over time. But perhaps some of this PvE stuff, if it's good enough, will revive some of that interest in the game. It won't. Oh, Harsh is not convinced. Yeah, um, it, it looks like it's just a glorified archives event, sure. which is, yeah. Sure. Uh, but my point is, is like, there is a solid enough viewer base. It's bigger than many other esports. And you could potentially have a sustainable esport within Overwatch. Um, I think you have to be careful about how you structure it and the way that the amount of money that you spend on it. But I don't think it's fundamentally a lost cause. If anything, viewership has gone up since the release of Overwatch 2. And it certainly looks better. Now, is it going to be what I had hoped it would be when I joined Overwatch League? Obviously not. But it doesn't mean that it's completely shit. 
And I think that it can still have a functional future as a kind of lower tier one, high tier two esports. And perhaps ESL is the the company or Blast is the company in order to make that a reality. I think as long as um, Activision is not super stringent with the IP rights, um, you can potentially make something out of out of Overwatch. I've actually been approached by people like asking about whether I'd want to help put on tournaments for uh, Overwatch, you know, down the road if this all well, it's obviously, you know, going to end, right? So, um, and that's something I'm not even, uh, or I'm, I would consider, like, helping out with a one-off event, right? So I think it, it can exist, but it's very hard to, to have high hopes, is, is my opinion, because they have not been very friendly with people in the, in the past. Well, yeah, I'm to, hoping that- to, to that point, I mean, just so, again, it's all here. This will be the immortal void of all of, well, just probably a fraction of the fucker in the Overwatch League. If you wanted to get a piece of the Overwatch League at the start, you had to agree to all sorts of crazy things. Just to even, like, this is why there was no grassroots scene. There was no third-party tournaments. E-League was an exception because of our, like, size. And remember, I'm not I'm not to be seen anywhere in that event, despite being a Turner employee and the face of E-League. The host of E-League wasn't in that event. They used Rachel Quirico instead because they said, my views about uh, Blizzard being shit at running esports is, is so reprehensible, I can't be involved in their esports anymore after they'd used me for years. So they used to make you agree that, you know, you couldn't use, like, statistical data was, like, one demand because they wanted to have the receptacle for all stats. They wanted final approval on all your graphics and overlays and things like that. If you had a production truck or a room with a director and a producer, two Activision Blizzard people had to be in there saying, you know, like, this is what it is, this is what it is. Yeah, the red tape, the bureaucracy was insane. Yeah, and, and, you know, most people, and like I say, I'm not just hearing that anecdotally. I saw some of the, I, I saw what they call, like, a term sheet um and you know it it, it was it, there was no the, the the juice isn't worth the squeeze because the only reason you was a to run an esport and run a tournament is so you can show off how fucking awesome you are so you can get another one and another one and another one and get the viewership and then once you Shout start out dj khaled that was a great <laughs> reference <laughs> uh, totally on purpose um i even, I even came in a dj khaled cosplay today like you know what i mean I need to lose some fucking weight but anyway you know the, but the, the once you start putting limitations on what you what a third party tournament operator can do then obviously you know they they not they don't want to do it because they want to show off their tech they want to show off their ability to bring in sponsors and viewers and work with other developers and so activision blizzard pissed off a lot of third-party tournament operators and i'm sure there'll be a bit of schadenfreude now that they have to go back cap in hand and ask them to essentially keep their esport on life support and they'll get worked they'll get hauled over the calls and as they should but I mean, I ultimately like this all makes me very sad as somebody who was super optimistic about Overwatch and who was sold something that ended up being different than than what the product actually was. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this story before, but the the DJ Khaled incident to bring that up was kind of like everything about that went wrong with Overwatch League in a fucking nutshell. Yeah, um, it, it, it is the symbol of the failure of overwatch league because what happened guys is that there was supposed to i've told this story before but there was supposed to be a musical act right 
And one of the, the, the heads of marketing, who was a guy who later got like slammed by Kanye on Twitter in a very hilarious way after he, he left Overwatch League and like was working at Adidas and stuff like that. And Kanye West started to call him out publicly for being an idiot, which he was. Um, what, what happened was he, you know, he basically assured everybody, oh, yeah, I've got all these connections in the music industry. No problem, no problem. We can get somebody at the finals to be a, a, like an S-tier musical act. Uh, turns out that, you know, musicians have tours and, you know, complicated <laughs> schedules. And so that didn't happen. And so we were, we were there two weeks, I think, before the finals. And there was no musical guest. And who cares? It's an esports event. It was the yeah, first yeah. final. Nobody gives a shit if there's a musical guest, right? Fucking they actually did events at esports. Yeah, me too. I mean, they had Questlove there doing DJing in the stadium, which was actually really fun. Uh, mm. That was a, it kept the crowd like really going, but it wasn't on stream, right? It was just a really fun guest for the people who were there. And it worked really well. Um, and all of a sudden, Bobby Kotick, you know, swoops in and he's like, what the fuck? There's no musical guest. Is this even like a, is this even like a real big event? And so <laughs> I am not fucking with you. He saw that DJ Khaled was big on Snapchat. And so <laughs> he called, he called up the man, DJ Khaled's manager and was like, can I get this man to New York city for the first owl final? And he was on tour opening for the Beyonce and Jay-Z combined tour. Um, and so they flew him on like a private jet away from that tour on a night that they weren't having a concert because they, they weren't having a concert on that night, I guess. And they flew him over, paid him an outrageous sum of money. And that's why the, the, it was so scuffed because there wasn't a plan to put on an actual you know, event for his musical performance. So it was him just in the middle of the stage, like shuffling around like he does and like <laughs> almost tripping over himself. And the audience was super not into it. And it was just, it was horrific to be there live watching this unfold. It was a great tragedy, but that's why there wasn't any like special light show or any kind of like, you know, performance elements to it besides DJ Khaled, just like rocking up on stage and shouting another one. Um, but what I mean you about this is like, up. <laughs> yeah, put your hands up and uh, whatever he said about God, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> which like, to me, come on, you know, the, the, the game is all about that shit, right? <laughs> even the Overwatch League, God did. Or whatever. <laughs> so, so I mean, he clearly just had no idea what was going on, or who the audience was, or like what the fuck we were doing. But this was this this was really just over. This was Overwatch League in a nutshell. It was like we were promised one thing. It changed at the last possible second, and what it changed into was spending too much money on a product that nobody wanted, and there wasn't an audience for. And just it was mind boggling. It was absolutely mind-boggling, um, but yeah, it was that was that was the experience. Let's hire some outside people to do some crazy-ass shit with too much money that will alienate our fan base and make us a laughing stock of the esports industry while we just piss away millions and millions and millions of dollars for no reason because Bobby Kotick <laughs> found DJ Khaled on Snapchat and gave his agent a call. <laughs> Wild, right? I'll end on a positive. 
in my role as the esports historian. Now, I don't claim to have been an expert about Overwatch, and I definitely didn't watch all the matches, but I'm pretty good at keeping up on the results and getting a sense of, like, I've always followed the work of people like Volamel and Yiska, some of the best people who really dedicate their life to this game and still do. So I'll just read out a list of some of the real goats, not that shit meta. So people like Prophet, Jornak, Gesture, Carpe, Proper, Fearless, Fletter, Shu, Sinatra, Super, Shabalby, uh, Smurf, Mano, Void. Any I've missed there? These are some of the best players to ever play this game throughout this. Is there any like a big name I missed there, by the way? Uh, no, the big one that you had was Proper, who couldn't, who was the best player in the world for like three years and couldn't play in the Overwatch League because of age restrictions. And now it's going to end because, you know, it, it's over before he could even make his legacy. That's wild. Yeah. But these players, by the way, were amazing. Like some of them, you, a couple of them, you might even see in games like Valorant now that are transitioned. Like these were, as someone who's watched a lot of FPS games, this is one thing that I actually, sadly, the Overwatch League, because it didn't get the popularity outside of its game, never established. Anyone who thinks Koreans can't play FPS games, you're an idiot. They can play every type of game. Classic and they are quote. so fucking mechanically talented. Like these players I'm listing here, you just go down even the first 10. Some of those are some of the best players to play any FPS game ever. Yeah. And, you know, as well, I think there was a ton of good people that really, they were like realists. Like, it wasn't just a bunch of delusional morons. Like, you know, there were some people who had Thank, their thanks, eyes. Richard, very... I appreciate that. Yeah, like Christopher, <laughs> you know. No, uh, it wasn't just a bunch of delusional morons. You know, there were some people, like, around the scene that were making content that were very eyes open about it. You know, like, I, I, always, I always fucked with Siegel. I always thought he was, like, a super cool dude. And, you know, like, I think... The people who worked on the show, you know, like obviously like Mitch Uber, I think he's like a goated caster. He's been on this show before. He never Sideshow was... Bren. Yeah, side... yeah, Sideshow, totally. yeah. yeah, Sideshow, absolute legend. Like, and you know, shout out to him and all the, the you know the, the the fucked up thing with Overwatch was they tried to make it a club that you weren't invited to if you were an esports person. You know, they yep. they, they, they they wanted to traffic in credibility. But they didn't want any of the little people, you know, which is funny that phrase comes up now that it's all crashed and burned. And yet the best thing about Overwatch, other than the porn, keep doing the joke, is all of their like efforts and content, the stream, the, you know, like the, the what people like tried to give to make this feel more substantive than it was. And I feel I do feel a little bit sorry for those people because oh, sure. had had this league been a success, you know, you're talking about some phenomenal broadcast talent, content creators, journalists, that essentially their career trajectory's been hampered and they didn't even get the luxury sure. of that season one, you know. It's also we assembled very deliberately like the Avengers of fucking broadcast talent. I mean, we were trying to bring in all these people from other games, people like, you know, Zoe, Chris Puckett, Semler. Yeah. I mean, Mr. X. Um, Lord's yeah, Mr. X. Got to shout out. Um, you know, these are we really tried to make a great group of of broadcast talent that could Dude, bring the best in thing people about from Overwatch, other games. Like I say, is 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 that it's it, the madness was the esports sucked balls, and yet the broadcast initially, again, I'm talking very early on, it was a great broadcast, and it's like. I just look at it now and I think, you know, you can't really talk about the game. It's all doom and gloom and they don't let the talent be the talent. 
Like, like, so we should just be doing all sorts of shit. Like, this is like one of the most talented yeah, individuals. Sure. Yeah. yeah, like, like, she, and yet when you took her away, she gets like fifteen minutes of airtime. What the fuck is going on? Like, I mean, it, it, surely at the end of all things, like with all of the facade having dropped off, let these people cook as the fucking zoomers say. Like, go out on a high experiment. It never mattered. So who gives a fuck now? Like you know, it, 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 that's the only that's the only part part of me that gets sad about this because oh, I saw a yeah, lot of people trying really really hard yeah, under ridiculous constraints and attitudes to try and make you know they were trying to spin straw into gold and and often they succeeded. Yeah, and one and thing, I, you know, even I, though even though this is a bit of a downer, I'll just say this now. One thing that I also thought capped this game early on was one of the things that it doesn't matter in the modern day, but it did matter a lot in the beginning of League of Legends was having that giant subreddit that was literally like the fifth or sixth yes. biggest subreddit on all of Reddit. It was bigger than like political subreddits. That's how huge it was. Overwatch never had that because the main one was just fucking dickheads doing like a 4K on Tracer out of nowhere doing silly things. And then they had competitive Overwatch or whatever it was called, which was like the worst elements of the League of Legends subreddit without the giant fan base that could at least upvote stuff and say some positive comments. So the joke is, if you don't know, the reason why Harsha became a coach is because there was nowhere to do your content. Like the joke was, unless I retweeted it or fucking featured your my shit, you never got any platform. Some of those people I listed there, they really are grinders. People like Volomel and Yiska, they just keep doing it to this day, mate. They just love the game too much and they want to chronicle the history of it. So there was loads, there was, another, there was a French guy I forget his name, Kirby, I think it was. He became a coach for the same reasons. Yep. There was no future in doing content. And also, as a result, if you did do content, because it was only the really extreme weirdo people, like Richard says, who find anime too problematic, that meant all you got was the hate. Like, people imply, like, I never did anything in Overwatch. I, I'll tell you right now, I only came to the game because my friend Monty was putting his whole life into it, and I wanted to give it a chance to succeed. As soon as he left, I left, of course. I never pretended to love the game on some in instinctive level. I actually had a lot of affection for some of these people. That's why I did shows with them. I not only did, I looked it up to like 53 episodes of Oversight, which was easily the premier talk show of its day with all the big name casters, fucking coaches, even some players that were the Western ones. I also did like on the side, I did like a show with Yiska. I might have done 20 episodes of that. Like, the, the, people don't realise a lot of people who were good in esports tried their hardest and put their fucking shoulder behind the boulder on this game and what you found was the dickheads and the incompetence were just pushing from the other side and you could never overcome it in some of these areas so that's the other reason I feel so sad because you guys never got to have like when I the reason I work in League of Legends to this day is because at the beginning when I was a guy from Counter-Strike and Quake I found wait a minute if you put your interview onto the League of Legends subreddit and I'm an interviewer already 12 years deep at this point in time like, no one can compete with me just they've got gums and an ADC friend. If I do a fucking banger interview, it goes to the top of the subreddit. I get 100,000 views. Like this is in the you guys could never get you get like a, a if you guys would break a thousand, it was like, yeah, this video was popping. It's like, that's just tragic. That was really sad to yeah. me. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, shout out Travi Gong Gong. <laughs> yeah, always the whipping boy, always the shots at the end. Even in Overwatch, for fuck's sake. You right. can't escape. So, Chris, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you close out, but I do just want to say before we do, um, you know, like, um, I'm super... Thanks for coming on the show, obviously, Harsha, and, and, yeah, and yeah. Li lifting the curtain a little bit. I'm super glad you got out of this shit business. <laughs> like, no, for real. We're I mean, jealous. Like, like, I see how happy and healthy you fucking look, and you, I'm sure you're crushing it in your field because you're a smart guy and you deserve success. And, uh, you know...
I, I, like I told you before you came on, I'm going to come back one day and I'm going to remake Get Out, <laughs> the movie Get Out, and it's just going to be about like your boyfriend goes to meet your family and they all work in esports, right? So <laughs> this business, don't come back. I love you too much. That's just the point the sunken place, I'll tell you <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Fucking, you're not wrong. Which is <laughs> the greatest game of the league continues to this day to show mm, nice, nice place we live in here. So there you go, Christopher, your final thoughts. Yeah, look, I think a lot of people within the the Overwatch community probably view me pretty negatively because I have, you know, said the truth about the Overwatch League. And you since... did associate with me, which is also a crime. So, oh, yeah, that's the biggest crime of all. Um, one of the classic mistakes of your life, someone said. <laughs> I'm on a screen. I share a screen sometimes with Thorin, so therefore uh, I am evil. Um, but the, you know it's because I really wanted this thing to succeed. And I believed in the original vision and I believed in what a lot of what Nate Nanzer was building. And I had a, a lot of real, and that was a shared belief among a lot of people. There was truly, I think Harsha can say this, the first like couple seasons of the Overwatch League were really fucking fun, man. And yeah. we were making great content. Like I said, Watchpoint was one of my favorite things to work on in my entire esports career. It was such a good experience. Um, we were really empowered in that show to to do cool shit. And we had a great producer. Um, shout out Sean Keegan on that one. And I got to work with some really awesome colleagues who all super cared about the league. And it was, you know, it was honestly just it was it was great. Um, and we we felt supported by Activision Blizzard. I didn't obviously agree with the product decisions that they were making or the way the league was sold or the amount of money that they were spending. But it, I would not trade that experience in my life. You know, people ask me like, well, why didn't you just keep with League of Legends? Well, I frankly, like I made much more money doing Overwatch and I wouldn't have made more money even to this day in League of Legends than I made from the, the decisions I made to do Overwatch and then do Flashpoint that I, I just objectively was was better compensated and better treated and had more authority. Um, so I don't regret the decisions I made in my career, but I do think very fondly about those times in Overwatch and my frustration and anger comes from a place not of not loving the game because I do think it's a good game and I did enjoy working on it and I did enjoy my colleagues. It comes from a place that it was so it was so mismanaged and it was so oversold and it it, it was so tonally different than and the product was so different than what I think it could have and should have been that it comes from a place of sadness that it didn't do better and that I feel like this would be a very different story if reasonable decisions had been made. And unfortunately, the people at the very top decided not to listen to those reasonable decisions and we are now left with this thing. But I do hope that, I do believe and do hope that Overwatch can be sustainable. And I think that the best thing that can happen is that someone else takes over the control of the Overwatch competitive ecosystem and makes it into something that people who still love the game can really enjoy. Like, that's what I hope. That's what I hope. Yeah. When there it is. Not me, though. I don't feel any of those things. Fuck Overwatch forever. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, <laughs> let Harsha, I'll let Harsha say his piece at the very end of this, because, like, I, I know Harsha and I had a great time together working on a lot of this stuff, and it just, it makes you bitter to see something that you love uh, shit on. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's why people look at it with so much, like, Vehemence? Vehemence? Vehemence, yeah. Vehemence. Um, it was a product that like a lot of people enjoyed, and then they just mismanagement to the point where now nobody can enjoy it, right? So I basically would just echo a lot of what you said, Monty. It was some of the most fun I had in my life the first two seasons. Um, 
before you know they kind of just made it all online and no more events and whatever um yeah it i look at it with sadness because it could have been so much more and in the end it's dead after six years you know declining every single year um there's not much more to say about it and i hope that uh the future holds you know some esports events for overwatch but i guess we'll just have to wait and see yeah and it, it contains some of the most i think poignant moments in the history of esports especially before overwatch league existed i mean the story of envy's win streak and going to korea and being the first team ever to win a turn a tournament on korean soil from the west is is extraordinary it was really fun um it was really fun and like i i treasure those memories uh that i had in apex and um i hope it can do better truly and if, if there are things that i can do to help this game moving forward and help the competitive community, I will do those things because as, as frustrated as, as I am, I do want it to survive and I do want to do what I can, I can do to help. Like, and I'll, I'll add, if you're one of the people who's been affected by this, uh, I do want to write the ultimate. Yeah, I do, do want to write the ultimate tell-all book about this absolute clusterfuck of an experiment. I think it will be looked back on as a real case study of how not to do things from a business perspective in esports. So hit me up. You might not like me, but you know what? I'm I'm always I'm always I'm always there to tell the stories I got to get told. Exactly. So. From the goats matter to goatsy. Indeed. The Overwatch League story by Richard Lewis. <laughs> and a think, gaping failure. Yeah, perfect. And at there, we'll say Esports Delenda Est. Thanks for watching. Be sure to like and subscribe. Support all our sponsors, support all our content. Go show Harsha some love on Twitter. And we'll see you next time the horsemen are summoned. Goodbye. <laughs>